Cheers, y'all. Well, 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 well. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this fine radio program and podcast known internationally as the world famous Smokin' and Toastin'. It is show number 201. We're all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars on today's show. Our special guest, mixologist extraordinaire Chris Morris, will join us for the program. And we'll be uh, talking about cocktails. Obviously, as you can see, if you're on the the live feed, you can see there's quite a bit of cocktail paraphernalia, um, you know, strewn around. You think drug guys have paraphernalia. That's nothing based on the cocktail guys, I'm telling you. Uh, Chris is here. He'll be making a number of cocktails for us today, including uh, some that you can make at home if you're finding yourself, you know, they say people are drinking more during the pandemic, but uh, a lot more of it is happening at home. So if you're missing being able to go out and uh, and have a an expert cocktail made for you, not only will we tell you how, if you're in the Houston area, you can go and have we have Chris make one for you because he's working, but we can also uh, tell you maybe how to make one or two of them at home. So, uh, so that should be fun and interesting. Our program is brought to you by MyCigarShirts.com. It's a very cool uh, website on the interwebs, uh, which features all kind of cool uh, shirts for cigar lovers and cigar aficionados, including at least one that probably stole its slogan from uh, from Ian. Yes, well, that that I feel like that's going to happen more and more. I, I have a feeling that's going to become the the bestseller, though. <laughs> you know, we'll have to ask him to send us some sales so, data. What we what we really need to do is go back through all the old episodes and find find the gems that we've said over the yeah over the and over just the turn years. just let mycigarshirts dot com turn them into shirts. It's pretty right. fun. Well, the the uh, one that uh, that we're speaking of. Um, that it, it really is a great looking shirt. It says, um, "It says you can't hurry up and smoke a cigar," and that's definitely an Ianism. Although I did mention last week, they're going to have to do one that says, "I'm down like four flat tires," <laughs> and has a cigar because that's something you say uh, uh, from time to time here on the show. So, uh, so anyway, welcome. It's show number two hundred and one, which has us halfway to five hundred, and we're we're very excited to be uh, here. You know, kind of doing this. We've been doing this for a long time now. Well, you know, last week's episode was quite entertaining yes it was we it was our 200th episode but we decided since we couldn't get everybody together like we had wanted to that we just kind of play it low-key and then we got pod crashed uh by the one and only alan denny that's right galveston island cigar lounge <laughs> who proceeded to you know just completely run the show off the rails and and it was uh, it was a lot of fun i i heard from a few friends of mine who uh watched and or listened to the show that we did tend to prattle on a bit oh a bit you yeah. think <laughs> you think it might have had something yeah. to do with what we segment were four was like forty five minutes yeah, long. Yeah. <laughs> apologies, apologies for that. We haven't done that long of a segment, I think, since the one hundredth. Yeah, show, well, I, I figure the one the two hundredth show probably deserved it. I think it was the fourth segment of show one hundred where Jeremiah Butler from B and B Butchers and your friend Mark, who works on uh, uh, teaching people how to like. Clean oh, out cleaning their draft the lines, lines. And yeah. Stuff. yeah, yeah. They got Mark into Nichols. some. They got into some long conversation about draft lines. I don't know if anybody made it through that whole segment, <laughs> but it just went on and on. And I was like, 
I could step in and stop this, but right now I'm just enjoying this whiskey, <laughs> right. and I'm just going to sit back and let him uh, let him take off. So anyway, we're we're thrilled to have uh, Chris on the show today. Speaking of which, he was in between us and them. He too, was absolutely, <laughs> and I will I will mention that uh, you know sometimes before the show I usually bring in some disinfectant cloths, and we'll you know because during the pandemic time it's good to be careful, so we'll wipe down the microphones and the headphones just you know, from other people that may have used them here in the studio, and I was passing them over to uh, Chris earlier. And let him know that that's the chair Alan Denny sat in last week. And then he went and produced some kind of flamethrower from his uh, from his bag of goodies. <laughs> and said, yeah, I, know you, I know you like authentic sound effects. So yeah, so he used that to uh, burn away any you know any remaining traces of Alan Denny on the uh, uh, on the equipment. Nice. So, so <laughs> we I'm had not a, sure if it worked. We had a great time with Alan though last week, and and uh, he's obviously always always invited back. I I. I always feel like if you're going to pod crash the show, we'll let you, but don't show up empty-handed. That's and he right. Didn't he brought a great bottle of rum? So it was, uh, so it was, so it was a lot of fun. Uh, on today's show, in addition to sampling a number of uh, awesome cocktails, and I'll let Chris preview those for us in a minute, uh, we're also going to be uh, tasting some beers today. I don't remember if Lenny from St. Arnold mentioned this beer uh, when he was on the show a number of weeks ago. Uh, but St. Arnold has released uh, something called Low Dose. It's a low-calorie session IPA, and the first, the first St. Arnold that's ever been <laughs> labeled as low-calorie. So that should be interesting to taste. I haven't tried it. It'll be interesting to see how they did with that. Uh, from Celador Ales in Los Angeles, California, we'll be tasting a painkiller, tiki-inspired wild ale. Now, painkillers... Though, that's that's like a rum specialty drink. In they they make them like if you go down to you know the Virgin Islands or any place like that. That's sort of like the local, or I don't know if it's the local thing. It's what the tourists all drink. You know when mm-hmm. when we're down there. And it's I like a, when in New Orleans you have to drink a hurricane. Right, it's, right. it's exactly like that. Except I think a painkiller is a lot better than a hurricane. It's a better <laughs> taste. But uh, anyway, when I, last time I was down there, I had you know but, but lots they, and lots of painkillers. But do they come in the giant? ridiculous no, glasses no, that you have they to walk don't. down the street They with. don't. But we did have a very entertaining bartender who was flipping bottles around and doing all kinds of fun island chants and it was uh, you know it was it was your typical tourist thing. But the but the drinks were good. Anyway, this wild ale is called I wish I could go to a tiki bar and it's uh, it promises to be a painkiller inspired wild ale. So that should be interesting and hopefully delicious. And then from White Elm Brewing Company We'll be tasting their Fluffernuttergus. It's a hard word to say. Fluffernuttergus. It's a peanut butter marshmallow imperial stout. So I'm sure we'll we'll have a chance to enjoy that. Uh, Drinking news returns to the show today, as we uh, always hope that it will. Uh, Plus, we have uh, a few things. A lot of these are kind of like leftover things that even though we did 45-minute long segments last week, we somehow didn't didn't get get to. to, Uh, So I do want to talk about the top American, the top five American rye whiskeys. Uh, the uh, independent craft brewers seal that craft beer uh, independent craft brewers are using on their uh, on their bottles and mm-hmm. cans now. Uh, it's been out for a while. It's been over a year. How's that working? Like, is it helping? 
to for people to really be able to find independent craft beer and is it is it doing what there's a whole study that's been released on it uh, so we'll take a look at that plus if we can get to it the world tequila award winners were announced and we'll uh We'll pass along the winners of that awesome. for you. So, so lots of good fun uh, things on the show today. Um, uh, Ian, I think you're going to just absolutely love today's drinking news. I'll just leave it at that. Um, and we are uh, excited uh, about the cocktails. So it's going to be Chris. Uh, you want to give us a little preview of some of the cocktails you may be making today? Uh, yeah, sure. So we're going to be doing two original cocktails, one uh, historic cocktail. Arguably mm-hmm. the oldest cocktail in American history. Oh, really? Yeah. So, that sounds okay. fun. Cool. And then uh, showing one classic that you can make at home and showing a variety of techniques and how they actually affect the drink itself. And so. you mentioned to me that you were uh, you said original cocktails, something that maybe nobody else has tasted before, uh, that you're trying out on us for the first time? Nobody that is not in my current employment has okay. ever tasted this cocktail. All right. Awesome. We're, we're looking forward to, uh, guinea pigs. to being the guinea pigs. Man, I'll try it. I'm, I'm down for that. Anybody? that needs taste testers for their drinks you just call me i'll show yeah. up at your bar we'll we'll taste them all I wonder if we can make a living doing that I, I don't know are there people that do that for a living not really should we create this listen i know there's a guy i won't say his name he works for one of the big um big you know companies that has a number of different stores the guy makes he's a he's a wine specialist right and he has a pretty like high pressure job because what he decides to buy in stock in all of their stores if he makes the good decisions they sell lots of wine if he makes bad decisions they don't sell so much but this guy makes and i'm not kidding you a million dollars a year that's his salary wow on top of that all the wine companies fly him all over the world because they want him to taste their wines and and maybe stock them. That doesn't so think sound glamorous that. or nice at all. I'm still really pissed off at my <laughs> guidance counselor in high school. Had I known that something like that. So those kind of jobs exist. Why not cocktail tasters? I, You know, I'm going to look into it. I think we should just print up business cards. That's right. Cruz and Ian, cocktail consultants. We can't tell you how to make them, but we can damn sure come to your bar and tell you if they taste good. That's right. Yeah. So simple system. If we ask for another, thumbs up. <laughs> I like it. You know, it's that way. It's not too hard to explain. They don't have to sift through long reports, and we don't have to type long reports, and we might not be able to type by the time we're done with the tasting anyway. So it, it seems to work for me. So anyway, welcome to the show. We're so glad you're here. It's been a crazy week for me. I've been super busy. I did have time to do a little smoking, and I'm uh, sure Ian, you probably did the same. Is that right? Uh, I went out to my patio this morning. Oh, nice. And I pulled out a cigar that I had in my humidor. I pulled out the uh, Oya de Monterey Dark Sumatra. This is the Media Noche. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, also blended by A.J. Fernandez. You knew that already, my, right? My man, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the A.J. fanboy, I'll tell you. I've been a fan of the Oya de Monterey's for uh, quite a while. I mm-hmm. think their Dark Sumatra is an outstanding cigar. This uh, Media Noche, uh, I'll go ahead and give up the ghost. It's, it's also... An outstanding cigar. Okay. This was the five and three quarter by 54 Medianoche. Uh, the appearance, medium brown, smooth with some veins, oily, very firm all mm-hmm. over. Um, the very firm thing, uh, it, it had no soft spots. Like the construction was, was so firm all the way around that I actually spent a minute trying to find any soft spots or weird spots. None. Yeah, nice. Um, uh, the, uh, the, the wrapper... Uh, it was very smooth with some veins in it, oily. Um, the pre-light sniff on this leather, rich earth, and uh, cedar. Very much uh, 
It smelled awesome, mm-hmm. especially in the morning. You know, morning cigar it's is kind of nice. It's a very dark cigar. Yes. Yeah. It's, so yes. you're kind of expecting maybe some of the earthiness and and leather on the yes, on the yes. Nose. The uh, the um, initial light on this is rich and spicy with pepper right up front. Uh, really nice cedar and leather following that up. Uh, pretty simple until I got into the first third. Then I started getting this mocha sweetness, which appeared. Uh, and and played nicely with the pepper in there. It kind of had a sweet and peppery kind of thing going on, which I really enjoyed. Uh, random spiciness going on through it. Left a, a tangy tobacco kind of flavor on the lips, which is really nice. A uh, little bit of a tingle on the lips. Had a bit of a flaky ash, so I had to be careful about it. Um, the flaky ash burned well, but it tipped off pretty easily. Although the the cigar had perfect burn the entire time, like razor like perfect burn all nice. the way down. Uh, the second third of the cedar is prominent, followed by sweet mocha and leather. Pepper remains throughout. Flaky ash, perfect burn. Nice. The last third of the cedar and pepper up front. Spices and sweet mocha follow with a tangy kind of dark fruitiness that developed in the rest. I want to I want to point out as as uh, also again perfect burn all the way through this. Uh, I want to point out this is a full flavored yes, cigar. It is. This is not a. Hmm, on the border of medium to full. This is at the high line of full. It's pegging the needle. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is right in the red, and um, and it's it's a big cigar and it's smoked for a long time too. I got an hour and a half out of this cigar. Nice. And I wasn't smoking it gently. Uh, this cigar cost me eight dollars and fifty cents, maybe almost nine dollars. Uh, I'm gonna give it a six due to its perfect burn, its awesome presentation. Uh, the whole cigar smoked amazingly. Um, I used a punch on it, and, and I love it when you use a punch and you get this perfect draw from it as mm-hmm. well. So I really, really enjoyed it. Also, it was one of these cigars that you could set down and forget about, and then it's still lit. Yeah, I, I love <laughs> so, that. When you have to relight too many times, it's Yeah, it no, really, so it was, really so it was amazing. So if I put it on the price to quality scale, I'm going to give it a six. Because mm-hmm. um, nice. even at... Even if it was $9, I enjoyed it enough to where if I paid 10 or $12, I wouldn't have a second Wouldn't, thought yeah, about it. Absolutely. Uh if it was a if it was an eleven to twelve dollar cigar, I would have given it a five easily. So don't you get the impression that AJ Fernandez stumbled onto some secret motherload of amazing tobacco and has just been hoarding it all and working it into these plans. No. Nope. Because he's got so I don't, I, much No, I don't get that. that at all. He's actually a wizard. I maybe that's it. Maybe that's, that's it. That's what it is. He puts on the big pointy hat and brings out the you know, his he, wizard hat is a much cooler hat than that. Yeah, I was going to say he had hat that is more uh, of a fedora. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah, he yeah. really did have a cool fedora <laughs> type wizard hat when you and I met him. And he doesn't speak English, so when you and I met him, I think we were at Stogie's um, a couple of years ago. Yeah. He had come in. He, he he had just released the broadleaf of the um, uh, encore, uh, yeah. the, the broadleaf wrapper encore, and he was there kind of promoting that. And they had a guy with him that was translating it, and I was I don't think I was able to get him to translate the word fanboy when I was trying to explain <laughs> right. that I was a fanboy. But anyway, uh, but he was very nice. And, yeah, he was and, super nice. And he uh, really knows what he's doing with uh, with tobacco. Uh, I had an interesting one this week. I smoked a Placencia Reserve Original Corona. All you have to say is Placencia. Yeah, I mean, they make great cigars to begin with. And uh, this one is apparently one that they had in their line for a while it went away and they brought it back a few years ago and it's not super expensive it's uh you know it's it's reasonable 
and it's got a great track record. Just want to point out they're doing some kind of crazy work on the building. If you hear that sort of whining sound, they're not not a lot we can do about it. I we wish have, they'd do that right outside the window. Yeah, it, it, wouldn't it be great <laughs> if they were just right outside whirring away? Uh, anyway, we're not uh, being chased down by police sirens. It's it's actually just uh, guys doing work on the building here. Uh, in any case, this uh, Placencia Reserve. Original is a, uh, a really nice-looking cigar, a little bit rustic, kind of a medium brown wrapper leaf. And apparently when this came out, it was the first cigar that was 100% organic. All the tobacco in it was organic, which obviously means no pesticides and, and, and all the other things. And you almost have to wonder, like, how do they even do that? Like, it, it's got to be much more difficult, and I would have almost expected this to be a much more expensive cigar because you've got to figure the growing process for the tobacco is much more expensive if they've you know, got to keep the bugs away from the leaves and all that and, and are not using any pesticides. But I don't know if there are any other. I think there may be a few other cigars now that are all organic, but this, this one was, I believe, the first one uh, to hit the market. They roll it in Honduras, but it has all Nicaraguan tobacco, so it's a Nicaraguan Puro. And uh, this cigar had a very earthy pre-light. There were some uh, cedar and tea leaf kind of notes on the, on the pre-light. I got a little bit of red pepper once I uh, lit it up, but it didn't give me that. This is a couple of weeks in a row now that I've had Nicaraguan cigars that didn't have that initial sort of pepper explosion. It was mm-hmm. there, uh, but it wasn't like it wasn't as big as oh, some my, of the. My cigar made up for that. Oh yeah, I'm sure yeah. it did. I'm sure it did. Uh, any any case, uh, as it opened up, I started picking up uh, espresso, earth, and a little bit of cinnamon. Which I'm. Uh, this is my development as. A cigar smoker is like I'm finally able to recognize cinnamon when I get a little hint of it in the. So I'm kind of proud of that, even though it probably doesn't mean that nice. much to anybody else. <laughs> uh, anyway, the second third uh, picked up some baking spice. A uh, little bit of a rich sweetness started to develop, which gave it a really interesting quality uh, and a nutty undertone. By the last third. The cigar kind of hit its stride. Uh, there was a note of creamy chocolate that kind of uh, worked its way into the mix. Nice complexity all the way through. I'd peg this cigar right at medium body, just like you were saying yours was not medium full. It was full. Yeah. This was not medium full. It was medium. And that's interesting because a lot of the Nicaraguan cigars coming out are on the more full side of, mm-hmm. of medium. Uh, this one was not quite as powerful, but it was delicious, nicely complex. Um it's a seven to eight dollar cigar, very enjoyable, solid five for me. I I would be tempted to rank it higher, but that seven to eight dollar category is one. I that's where a lot of the cigars that I choose are mm-hmm. kind of in that. And so, if I'm trying to compare it to my very favorites in that price range, um, it it might not be as great for me as those were, but it was absolutely solid. I found no problems with it. You can see uh, from the pictures that there was one little bit of. Uh, funky burn partway through it, and I just, you know, touched it up and it was fine. So uh, I enjoyed it and I recommend it. The Placencia Reserva Original. Mine was a Corona and it was quite good. So um, let's take a quick break. Let's come back and get started with some cocktails. And also I'm very, very curious about this uh, low-dose St. Arnold, a uh, low-calorie IPA that I believe has just come out. So we will uh, be tasting that in this segment as well. Chris Morris is here. He's our guest, and we'll be talking cocktails, including the history of the cocktail. Now that uh, now that we had Liliana on, she told us the history of, of uh, tequila, the agave yeah. plant and tequila. Uh, it's fun to dig into history whenever we can. And 
Chris is a guy that's up to speed on all of that. So we'll be back with it next. And Drinking News is on the way. It's smoking and Toasting. Welcome back. It's Smoking and Toasting. We are thrilled to have you on board for uh, show number 201. Our show's about uh, fine spirits, craft beer, and hand-rolled cigars. We are joined by Chris Morris today, and we are brought to you by MyCigarShirts.com. Find them on the web, cigar uh, lover shirts starting under 20 bucks, and uh, they are supporters of the show, so please be supporters of them. MyCigarShirts.com, because cigars. I was uh, scrolling through the comments on the uh, on the Facebook feed. We were we were talking before we went live, um, but the face the Facebook feed was already live before we launched the show. We were talking about uh, about our buddy Chris Hart and his uh, show, which by the way is called Whiskey Neat. I mm-hmm. called it uh, uh, drinking with celebrities or drinking with famous people, <laughs> and uh, he chimed in and said uh, said he described it as drinking with C list celebrities. But you know, he said, well, I was going to say he said some big names. He had Jean Claude Van Damme on the show. It, but but maybe he is a C. Yeah, no, he's B, he's at least a B, right? I, I I couldn't I couldn't even tell you. We've never had Jean Claude Van Damme on the. You know, no slight to Chris. When was Morris. the guy made the movie? What was his last movie? He did some kind of a series for Amazon Prime oh. uh, that was about being Jean Claude Van Damme, kind of like being John Malkovich, but <laughs> but but being Jean Claude or something like. I I don't know. I I I didn't uh, ever have a chance to watch it, but. Uh, you guys can find it if it's, if you're Jean Claude fans, it's out there. But no, Chris has a lot of great comedians on. He's, his show's very good. Um, they drink whiskey that you can never find in any store ever, ever and buy. It's uh, but it's it's definitely fun to uh, fun to listen to. And 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 Chris is a good friend. By the way, I got an email from uh, him because I'm on the email list for the Houston Whiskey Social and the mm-hmm. Houston Bourbon Society. And basically, they're saying they there is going to be a whiskey social next year. And they've kind of got the plans in place, but they're waiting to announce the date to see if it needs to be moved uh, later. I think what they're waiting to do, and this this is like one of the greatest like events ever. Oh yeah, some whiskey social. Amazing. In fact, didn't I see you in a kilt at one of those things? You did. Uh, okay, that's what I thought. Um, so if he's showing up in a kilt, you know what kind of party has been thrown, and uh, and it's it's a uh, it, we we have repeatedly said it's the best. Uh, it's the best uh, uh, liquor whiskey event, event, whiskey yeah, event yeah. that that you could ever go to, and I think what they're going to do is wait until they see whether or not um, the rodeo happens in Houston, because that's kind of, that'll kind of be a bellwether of whether people are getting back together and doing yeah, yeah. events again, or whether it's not quite yet time. And if you live someplace besides Houston, you have no idea what a big deal. Rodeo. It's like a social event. Oh, it's, it's crazy. It's weird almost if you're from somewhere else. But here, it is like one of the biggest events of the year. I'm not a rodeo guy personally, but you know, they have major, you know, bands and artists come in and play. It's it's a big, big deal. Yeah, everyone waits for the list of artists to yeah. come out each year. And it's you know, there's a lot of the biggest country artists, but there's there's always other genre. I think Kiss played it one I, year. I was there. You were there Kiss. with Kiss. I saw the Kiss. Rodeo. Yeah. You gotta love Gene Simmons. Like Rodeo, how much? I'll do it. <laughs> I've seen quite a few interesting acts <laughs> yeah. there. Some great country acts, but uh, outside of country, uh, ZZ Top. ZZ Top, yep. Uh, Kiss. Yep. Um, mm, I, I, uh, Lionel Richie. Yeah, um, you got to love that. So, sticks. Yeah, there's all kinds of cool stuff that yeah. happens. Uh, so anyway, um, they're going to wait, I think, and see if that happens. Then you can pretty much count 
on an announcement of a date for the Houston Whiskey Social. So those of you who've been before will be uh, will be celebrating and and looking forward to it. Um, ever since the year 2010, the Ultimate Spirits Challenge has convened in the suburbs of New York to judge the best of the best across all categories of liquor. And for uh, its 11th consecutive year, they fielded more entries than ever before. The winning tequila securing the chairman's trophy was the Tequila Ocho unaged Plata tequila. Wow. Beating out all other tequilas. Now, we've had Tequila Ocho on the show mm-hmm. before. We've tasted it. It was the Añejo that we mm-hmm. had, and it was delicious. But I wouldn't have even thought, you know, uh, that we should go back and test the Plata. So maybe we should, because they gave it their number one tequila award. So that's a pretty big deal. That's pretty I'm huge. So maybe Especially we'll... for, for a white tequila. Or right. Yeah, for, for an unaged. Yeah, for an unaged tequila. That's that's quite a deal. So we'll have to uh, we'll have to check that out. Today we are checking out cocktails and Chris Morris is here and he's brought all kinds of paraphernalia. And uh, did you want did you want to start about talking about the history of cocktails or or you mentioned that one of these was the first sort of American cocktail, is that right? That's right. We'll we'll, uh, we'll do that one in a little bit. We're okay. we're, we're going to wet the palate with a little something more kind of tart and refreshing just to kind of get us going. So we're going to start off with uh, a version of the daiquiri that we serve at my bar, Calba, right there in Montrose, mm-hmm. that we call the daiquiri d'or. And well, just before you go any further, Calba is open and it people is. can come and, and it, because people are always wondering what's open, what's not, can I drink on the patio, what's the, it, what's the plan? It, it is open. We do have a, a wonderful spacious patio that was voted one of the best patios in Houston by like Houston Food Finder. We're at 50% capacity indoors. I do have six seats at the bar that are all properly socially distanced. I love that. Uh, two at a time, so you can still sit at a bar and kind of get that experience. Um, from where you sit to where I actually make drinks with a minimum of four feet. So okay. it's safe for everybody involved. And, you know, for us, it's been more or less business as usual, but with slightly less people. So, right. That makes sense. You know, we've still been, you know, keeping our stocks full and making good cocktails and serving great food. You told me before the show, you guys actually just, did you really just have a record month? Even we in, we in, did. Even we in actually, the middle of all this? Yeah. With having our inside capacity at, at 50%, we actually had the best month that we've ever had. Wow. In, That's in August. amazing. Wow. How long have you guys been open? Uh, that was October 2018 mm, wow. is when Calba first opened. Wow. Well, that's that's impressive. Now, your your sort of specialty is being, you know, the cocktail master. So uh, this this will be, I think, a really fun Our show. Cocktail expert. Cocktail expert. Yes, we should. We should can We're we list you among experts. our experts? We, we, like, we like thinking of, of our, you know, show friends as experts in one thing or another. So, so to, to quote friend of the show and good friend of mine, uh, Jeremiah Butler, you can call me whatever you like. Just don't call me late for dinner. <laughs> hey, we could, we could send that uh, slogan to cigar, mycigarshirts.com. I, I, I love Jeremiah, but he yeah. would be late for dinner. He would totally be late for dinner. <laughs> but, but here's the thing about Jeremiah. He's been late to dinner fo- like with me before. Yeah, so. he, <laughs> but he would show up with an amazing bottle of whiskey. True and that. everyone would forgive him immediately, right? That's the way. Yeah, because he didn't show up late. He's the guy that showed up with whiskey. <laughs> that's that's how you do it. That's exactly right. <laughs> so, what do you? Uh, what I see you poured uh, something in here to the shaker. What what is that in yeah, that yellow so, rimmed bottle? So the yellow rimmed bottle is a blend of rums. Oh, uh, something that nice. the, 
the kind of cocktail community learned uh, from the tiki bars of, of the 1940s. So where it's not a blended rum specifically. It's rums you blend correct. together. So, okay. so this has uh, Florida Cogna Fourier as the base mm-hmm. and then some Plantation Stiggins Fancy Pineapple. So nice. Beautiful French pineapple uh, infused rum. That rum is a regular at my house. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And then also some Barbancourt Four Year from Haiti, just to give a little bit more of kind of like that an, funk, an earthy texture, yeah. and like a little bit of funk to it. Uh, it wouldn't be a daiquiri without some fresh squeezed lime juice. Mm-hmm. Uh, fresh squeezing your citrus juice is absolutely the single best thing you can do to like elevate your cocktails. That's so whether you're doing margaritas or you're doing anything, right? Margaritas, lemon drops, anything you're doing at home. Don't get the little plastic thing that is like super, that, super that pasteurized. Says, that says that it's juice. Yeah, yeah it, that's like juice from concentrate. The single best thing you can do is you know juice it from an actual piece of fruit, an actual lime or lemon or whatever. It, okay. it makes all the difference on like your your shaken your fresh cocktails. It really does give it a fresher taste, doesn't mm-hmm. it? You yeah, know, just absolutely. just that real fruity uh, uh, aroma that that will dance on your tongue a little better than the concentrated stuff. So. Yeah, so we, we've got the basic structure of, of a daiquiri here, uh, and it's not a daiquiri without some sugar. So we actually use two different types. First one being a guava syrup that we make. Mm-hmm. Uh, just get, Again, kind of just giving a little more like kind of tropical note is what we were going for. And then so, I, so you got your rum mixture. You've got the, um, the lime juice, you said? Yep. Mm-hmm. And then the guava syrup. And then a guava syrup. And then I always like a little bit more of like, particularly when I use aged rums, I like a little bit more of a mouthfeel with my sugar. So actually a little bit of palm sugar syrup. And what this does, palm sugar, uh, when you make it in a syrup, actually it smells like fresh baked cookies. It's really, really rad. <laughs> nice. Like it's, it's like the most intoxicating smell. Not a thing wrong with that. But so like where the guava syrup is one part sugar to one part water, the palm sugar syrup is two parts sugar to one part water. So it gives us a little bit more body, a little bit more roundness. And it's really just kind of like more of a mouthfeel kind of thing than necessarily like super punchy like sweetness and mm-hmm. like flavor it's more to just give like kind of the texture that we want and so you know the this? detail of thought that goes into mixing something uh from an expert from someone like this is uh, a little astounding considering i'm terrible at this like at home i'm like hmm what do i have right <laughs> <laughs> Well, I got some grape Kool Aid. You know the the great the great chefs can do that. They can go to yeah. your refrigerator and gather the food that you've got and uh, make a great meal. So I would guess that maybe the mixologist could do that too, unless you really only have grape. Well, Kool-Aid. you gotta you gotta really know what you're doing to go. Okay, you know what? This needs a little more mouthfeel to be more fun. Right. And then how to approach? Okay, we can do this. So yeah, that's that's outstanding. So Chris, um, are you? Are you a measure guy, or do you kind of go by feel? Uh, I'm a. It, it can go either way. I'm mostly a measuring guy. Okay. Um, I, I think it's an incredibly Im- important. Um, there are some things, right? Like if I'm making a whiskey and coke or a gin and tonic at the house, like I'm not going to sit here and measure out like to the quarter ounce how much <laughs> gin I'm putting in. Right. Um, it kind of just depends on how my day is going at, at that point. <laughs> well, uh, that's that's a system of measurement all its own, basically. Yeah, yeah no, it, so, so it's funny you mentioned the, the painkiller earlier originally at the uh, the Soggy Dollar Bar, and uh, you can get your, your painkiller there with, a, with anywhere from a range of two to four ounces of rum, uh, depending on how much pain you need killed. That's, so uh, that's perfect. So yeah. I, I do think there's a time and place for that, right? Like if I'm you know, at a swim-up bar at a beach and I just mm-hmm. want like, you know, a blended strawberry daiquiri, like, 
yeah, put as much rum as you want. The yeah. more, the more, the better. I don't, I don't. Well, or I don't if get you show up an hour later than your friends, and they're already way far ahead of yeah. you. Oh yeah. <laughs> if you arrive with Jeremiah and everybody else has started drinking, <laughs> that's what you're saying, right? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get it. All right. So, uh, so this is a uh, this is just a kind of a standard daiquiri, right? Yeah. This is just a, a standard daiquiri in sort of how it's constructed: rum to lime to sugar. We're just kind of breaking it up into some different parts, using a multitude of rums to get different flavors, two different sugars to kind of accentuate and bring a little more kind of tropicality to it. Uh, and then we switch everything up a little bit with the garnish, but we got to shake it up first, which uh, I'm sure you'll agree is one of my favorite sounds in the world. Oh, oh yeah. It's a wonderful yeah. sound. And now as you're shaking it, I'll ask you, is there a science to how much you shake? Absolutely. So, so it's... It's possible to overshake a cocktail, correct? It, it very much is, and it depends on like what kind of ice you have. Okay. So like that's the biggest difference between like your home bar and like my professional bar is like the ice that I have is you know inch and a quarter big cubes. Mm -hmm. You know I'm shaking on these and they're clear and they're what we call dry. They're not like super like coated in water, so mm -hmm. like they're very easy to shake with, and that larger ice gives you a much better texture. Um, and so if you have like that, just that regular like kind of refrigerator ice, you want to shake less because there's more surface area using right. small ice and things right. like so that. Right, so it's impacting more. So yeah. all of those definitely kind of play in. Um, one thing that you see a lot of uh, professional bartenders do, particularly in like craft cocktail bars like I work in, uh, this is literally a fine tea strainer that I mm -hmm. bought in Chinatown for $1.50. <laughs> and it helps keep all those like big ice shards out of your drink so you're not chewing on your cocktail. Okay. There are times and places for that as well with like mm -hmm. different shakers and whatnot. But for the general purpose, you want a nice clean cocktail. So you pour through that. It keeps the uh, larger chunks of ice uh, from making their way into the glass. I don't, uh, you know, for those of you who are just listening and can't see this. like, And I don't know so if the camera can get a shot of that behind the... Yeah. Uh, and we might have him make the drinks up there if he can, just so the camera can get. Yeah, I was going to do that on some of the some of the other drinks. This one's a little little difficult to pour. Um, so where we actually really kind of switch things up um, is He's I got like, the little bottle with the yeah, with the, uh, the, the little the thing. little the little magic the little uh -huh. the the little tricks if you will. And so what I like to do with this guy, and it's not that Using I like a tincture bottle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is a blood orange infused olive oil. A blood orange infused olive, olive oil. oil. I'm olive pretty oil. sure that they don't have that okay, at good, good, Kroger. Good. <laughs> and so what this does is, as you, like, as you drink this cocktail, some sips will be nice and tart and piquant and daiquiri and wonderful, and then just occasionally you'll get a little pop of like this oil and this kind of richness and like extra fruit that comes through. So I can't tip this enough to show the camera the top. Maybe you can do a little better there, Ian. Uh, don't, don't pour it on your iPad. you can see the top of but this. But the, the top of it has um, these drops just kind of sitting there, the drops that you put of the olive right. oil that's infused. Uh, they're just kind of sitting on the top of the daiquiri. Very interesting. Are they, are they flavoring what's around it, or is it a flavor that you just get when you actually consume one of them? No, it's only when you consume it. So just okay. every, every now and again, you get a little, like, extra. Because it doesn't extra, mix. It just says. Right. It, it, you know, the oil and water don't mix. So they just sit there. And just occasionally you get kind of a little, like, bonus flavor. That's, it, it's interesting that oil and water don't mix. I found that out when, uh, uh, with my ex-wife. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, that's a whole other topic, and we don't have time to get into that on today's show. <laughs> 
Um, At least not with the first cocktail. Yeah, I was going to we'll say. See, we'll see who you are in a couple segment, segments. Segment five, I may be telling you my life story. <laughs> uh, no, this, well, of course, now I haven't had one of the little uh, droplets of the oil yet. But just the the first blush of taste of this, there's so much flavor. Yeah. And I've had plenty of daiquiris. This to me has got has got a more distinct, a more, you know, sort of uh, lively on the tongue flavor. What what should I attribute that to? Is it the the fresh squeezed juice? It, Is that it's it? it's absolutely the the fresh squeezed juice. The the other thing that you'll you'll notice, and I I think you were able to see it a little bit on camera, is you'll look and there's like almost like a slight white crema. Mm-hmm. On top of the drink, almost, it, almost like it's es- not espresso. Yeah, it's not quite a, uh, a like a carbonation, like a right. like a beer foam uh, look. It's more like a cream almost. Right, and what that is you is can actually see it stick to the glass. Mm-hmm. We, yeah, and like that's a, a combination of like the oils that are present in the lime juice that when you squeeze it, you get out of the shell combined with like this big ice whipping a lot of air in, and so like that's one thing that like I don't see a lot when people make their cocktails at home, and that's how I can always tell that they don't shake hard enough. Okay. The the great Harry Craddock, um, which we'll talk a little bit about when we talk about history, in 1930 wrote the Savoy Cocktail Book. And there's a great quote that I like to really attribute. And it's, we shake the cocktail to wake it up, not to rock it to sleep. Okay. So so in other words, don't be afraid to shake it hard. Oh, you, you need to, sh- to shake the hell out of it. Now, uh, I noticed that you and a lot of other um, of the more sophisticated bartenders that I see don't just do a one-two shake. It's got a little more of a rocking motion to it. Is there right. something to that as well? There, there, there absolutely is. So the idea of shaking a cocktail to the best of your ability is creating as much kind of chaos okay. in, inside the shaker. Because you're looking to do three things when you shake a cocktail. You're looking to add water to it, so you're looking to dilute it down. You're looking to chill it to the correct temperature, and you're looking to add that aeration. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, FYI, the add water part is from the ice itself, not right, actually correct, adding right. water. Correct. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the ice melting as you yeah. as you as you beat it up, and the corners break off, and they melt in, into the drink. And so, you know, you'll see when, when I shake, it's kind of creating motion on like multiple axes. So like I hold, right. my, it's got I some hold roundness my sh- to it. I hold my shaker at an angle so that my ice bounces around; it doesn't just go back and forth. And it's create you know going up and down, and then also like with a wrist motion. So it's kind of tumbling in like multiple dimensions, which sounds super pretentious. And I know Chris Hart is going to say something about it, <laughs> but I don't care. I just don't care. I'm sure he will. <laughs> um, now, in the last sip that I took of this, I did get a, one of the drops of the uh, blood orange infused olive oil, and it completely changes. It's, yeah. It's like finding the, that yeah. gushing center of a candy or something. Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely fantastic. Remember that gum that you used to have that you would that you used to have <laughs> that you would chew it and there would be like no, it's it's not like that at all. It what it does though is it gives a tartness to it that uh, that doesn't exist when you're not uh, getting one of those little right. Drops. And, I, and I like cocktails that that the more you taste them, the more you can find. Like the the more layers de- develop. It's it, just it, just like a good cigar, you yeah, know. Yeah, it, yeah exactly. Like. As you as you drink through this, like if you really wanted to sit critically and think about it, you could probably find flavors in the first third when it's coming out and it's at its absolute coldest, and then like the second third once it's kind of warmed down a little bit because temperature obviously affects the yeah. way that we taste things. So it's, like there are absolutely like I know when we do like competition cocktails, one thing that we one hundred percent do, um, if you want to like really have the best cocktail you can, is I will make a cocktail, I'll put it in a glass, and I will set it on my counter, and I will walk away, and I won't taste it for an hour. Because I want to make sure that if someone has to come back and taste it 
an hour later at a judge's table, it's it still, still tastes amazing. Yeah, well, and think, obviously it's going to be warmer then. Yeah, absolutely. So that's going to change the the flavor of it as well, right? Yeah. I think uh, uh, as far as I can tell, the, when it's really cold, you can taste the the sours and the bitters and the bright fruit flavors a lot, but that tends to change as it warms up. You tend to ta- taste more of the, uh, the, the spices or um, what's the word I'm looking for? The more, like the, the, more the rum starts it starts to throw yeah. like show through a little bit more right. like the the more it warms up for sure. Is there such a thing as a really really good frozen daiquiri? Absolutely. So, you know, a lot of times when you get a frozen daiquiri someplace, it's from the frozen daiquiri machine, oh, yeah. and I assume you can't make them without some kind of a frozen daiquiri machine, right? Uh, you can make them with just a blender at home. That's how I do mine. Okay. So, like, the, the Floridita daiquiri from the, the Floridita bar in, in Cuba is a phenomenal example. And that's one where I don't measure because they don't measure. <laughs> so if I measure the rum, it feels really, really inauthentic. Is there a difference to how you prepare the ingredients for it before you run it in the blender with the ice? So in that particular daiquiri, I use more of, like, a caster or just a, a regular white sugar. I don't make a simple, and that's just mm-hmm. simply because... That's how, you know, they make it. They live on the beach. They're just like, squeeze some lime, throw some some sugar in it. They put a little bit of Luxardo Maraschino liqueur for like an herbal backbone. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put in a cup, a half of rum, or not a, not of rum, uh, of crushed ice, and they start their blender. Now, you'll notice we haven't talked about rum uh, because what they do is then they'll look inside the blender and they'll just start pouring rum. Until as it's blending. As it's blending. So they start blending everything else, and they start pouring rum just until the middle of it starts to open up, and that's how they know the cocktail's right and the texture is right. That's so cool. Huh. <laughs> so in, in that case, uh, depending on how fast you see it opening, I've had daiquiris with anywhere between two and four ounces of rum, and they were all fantastic. <laughs> nice. I love it. Now, how much would it change the flavor here if you weren't using the mixture of rums that you described? Um, the cocktail would still be fantastic. I mean, any, any like any base spirit that you change is going to inherently change the cocktail at least a little bit. You know, if you wanted to take this, you know, particular drink and make it like with nothing but Florida Cognac, it would still be a great drink. Mm. You know, it wouldn't be quite, you know, the the vision that we had because we wanted to get as many kind of tropical fruits and particularly for me I wanted to make sure that we used, used Haitian rum because there's a big Cajun influence in our cuisine. You know, we're a Viet Cajun restaurant. So New Orleans Creole, Haitian Creoles, like big French influence plantation being a French company. Like there's a lot of like inherent conceptual things that were, was really important just in like the vision that we had for it. But if you just want to take like some rum, some lime juice, some guava and some palm sugar and throw it in a glass, it's going to taste good. Wow. Wow. The, uh, the, the flavor on this is so tropical good. It you can really taste is. the difference between the lime. There's a little kiss of pineapple, especially on the retro hail, and then that blood orange and once you take a sip of one of those little drops of the blood orange infused olive oil it kind of that flavor kind of sticks with you a little bit this this drink has most definitely what i refer to as the jimmy buffett effect Uh, jimmy buffett has made an entire career out of making uh, making sure that when people come to his concerts whether you like the guy or not well he makes changes in attitudes yeah changes, and in, changes latitudes in latitudes and yeah but that's that's his whole thing you go to his sh- you go to his show and you're transported to the islands for a couple hours yeah. and this drink to me has that same kind of effect i, I when i taste it i'm like on a beach yeah, and for and sure. that's 
that's worth the price of, of entry for sure. You know, I, I, drink like I, this. I, I think being a bartender, you wear kind of kind of mini hats, and I, I say it all the time. Like you know, I'm a, a bartender, but sometimes I'm a mixologist and a therapist and a storyteller. <laughs> you know, a, a political expert, an ear for you to lay on, a, a, a travel agent. <laughs> right, right. And sometimes I'm just a guy that serves you a whiskey and coke, and that's okay. Like, you know, there's so much that's involved in kind of the the art of bartending that's more than just like creating drinks it's creating experiences and giving people like what they want sometimes you want to escape and imagine you're on an island sometimes you just want to slam some whiskey because you've had a bad day and right. you need somebody to like listen to you talk about your job. learning to recognize that i'm sure is its own skill as well so that that's uh like there's bartending schools get a real bad rap in in my industry because people always ask me if they should go to bartending school i'm like absolutely not and they're like, why not? It seems like a really good idea, right? Like, I want to do this thing I go to school for. I'm like, because all they're going to do is teach you how to make drinks. They're going to teach you how to tend bar. And all of that is wrapped up in the tending part yeah. of bartending. Is, is, it's the people side. So that, this is really interesting because I have a similar thing when people, and I don't know if anybody even wants to be in radio anymore, but during my career in doing radio, people would always ask me, should I go to broadcasting school? And I told them, no. Yeah. Go to a college that has a good intern placement program and take some of their broadcasting courses, you don't even need to graduate. Just get placed as an intern because when you actually are at a radio or a television station as an intern, that experience you can put on a resume and that's gonna be far more valuable to a potential employer than knowing that you completed the uh, the, the college course. Yeah, it, but it, can you do that as a bartender? Um, how do you, how, uh, so well, if uh, I wanna be one, how do I, how do I get started then if I don't go to bartending school? So the the most common paths are going to be starting as a server, so that you learn how to how to multitask, how to take care of people. Mm-hmm. You know, you learn the food, you learn the drinks, so you understand what they are before you learn how to make them, or just kind of the same thing, starting as like a bar back, being the guy that that polishes glasses and restocks and learns the flow of the bar. And while you're doing that, you can like watch YouTube videos on how to make different cocktails yeah, and it, make stuff at home. Yeah, and you and you can you know borrow one of the bartending books off the shelf and go home, and you can learn the recipes, and then. Maybe you maybe you get the Tuesday night shift when it's when it's a little bit slower. Nice. I, I, I actually have a few friends that started bartending that exact same yeah. path right there. And here's to you know that becoming a good career path again because right now I know it's tough because a lot of places aren't open or or slower and and uh, here's to, here's to there being a need for bartenders once again. <laughs> Cheers. Because <laughs> they serve a, an important public function. We, we far, try at least. Far as I'm concerned, you're front line. You, yeah. you're, you're definitely first responders. Uh, Ian, let's, while we're doing this tropical drink, I think it's a good time to maybe taste this IPA and see how it uh, goes because a good IPA is going to have a little bit of that vibe to it as well. And this is the uh, Low Dose from St. Arnold. It's a low-calorie session IPA. And after you pour that, I'm going to have you read off the side of the can there what the calories and the uh, yeah, it has and all the, the information. information. This is the most full can I've ever opened, by the way. Look at that. <laughs> That's quite impressive. St. Like Arnold is not cheating literally you, Literally straight up to the top. <laughs> they are not cheating you. Good pour. I'm trying to pour it a little hard, but... Yeah, Chris Hart is uh, is watching today. He'd, be, he'd be appreciating that. He is the champion of the hard pour. So. It's a little hard to, uh, to pour that soft when it was that crazy full. <laughs> this one had like... 12.5 ounces in it or something. All uh, right. And uh, so I'm very curious about this. I love St. Arnold. They're one of my absolute favorite breweries. And they have been, uh, they've always done really well with IPAs, but they have not been one of these um, breweries that sort of gave into the 
IPA craze and started releasing a new one every Tuesday. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, but they, no, they, they just they were careful. Their yeah. IPAs are pretty solid overall. This yeah. smells. I love really. The, by the way, I'm currently there's a little dank to the smell that I really like in the in the hoppy smell. I am currently, by the way, way into their Noble Haze, which we had some of when yeah. uh, when uh, Lenny was on the show about a month ago. Uh, that that's one that I'm buying every time. So I this see says it, so. Uh, 118 calories. 4.4% alcohol by volume. So I think they're trying to make a sessionable, low-calorie uh, beer overall. Um, per per 12 fluid ounces average analysis, 118 calories, 7 grams carbs, 2 grams protein, 0 grams fat. So this has got about the same amount of calories as a Bud Light. And blows it out of the water. <laughs> but then, well, just the smell of—I haven't yeah. even tasted it yet. But just the smell of it smells so. It's this is good. I think it's really like, good. The it, smell is good. It reminds me of the closest thing I could compare it to is maybe the Founders All Day IPA, but but it feels a little juicier. That might be because of the daiquiri uh, still being on the palate a little bit. But mm. Mm. so it's interesting because uh, it's got a thinner mouthfeel than I expect from St. Arnold overall. But again, it's low calorie, so uh, yeah. yeah, and 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 I'm, that's not a really a complaint. It's just uh, you know how sometimes you have preconceived notions when mm -hmm. I go to taste something from Founders or when I go to taste something from Dogfish Head. You know, I expect right. You're a expecting a certain, certain yeah something, and and I don't think um, I don't think St. Arnold's has anything that has quite this thin of a viscosity in there. I think that's right in yeah. their uh, lineup, and it's not a. Not a snap against it. I also like how it, it's kind of a medium carb to it as mm -hmm. well. It's not highly overly carb. Over carb it, carbonate it, yes. Um, and so the initial flavor on this is actually quite nice, but it is also very, very citrusy. I know you're a craft beer guy. What do you think of something in the locale uh, realm like this? I mean, as long as it's a well made beer, I think you can really, it's really kind of the world is your oyster. The thing that I'm really appreciating about this, because I, I agree with you, it had like a slightly thinner mouthfeel than like. Uh, you know, I would expect out of like St. Arnold's or any like reputable IPA maker. But the thing that's really striking me is the the acidity that catches you like right on the side of your. It's tongue. like a little lemon peel going on there. Yeah, it, it makes you want to take another drink. Mm -hmm. And and, I, and this is the exact kind of beer that I would sit on my patio and have like four of. Well, and, <laughs> and, and, and like, it's not even think about easier it. to do that because it is so sessionable yeah. in terms of its uh, and under five percent helpful yeah, too. Exactly. Well, what I like about it is. If you compare it to other beers that are low calorie and um, and lower in, in carbs, this just has so much more flavor than most of them. Uh, you know, if you look at your your lineup of light beers, I mean, if you're saying, "Hey, I want to sit on my back porch and have four or five beers, and I don't want to, you know, you know, knock myself out," and what are my options? Well, you can go with a Bud Light or a Miller Light or a Coors Light, but this has. So much more flavor and so much more enjoyable while still being just as sessionable. And so I think it's a great. It also doesn't have any of that um, that IPA thing that some people that some people list as the reason they don't like IPAs that that heavier sort of yeah. uh, resinous uh, quality. Yeah, to no, it. it doesn't. This is this is a little bit like um, it's almost like they sat down and said, you know what, let's make lemonade, but with beer. It's a good way to put it, yeah. and 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 I mean that in the absolute best way. Mm -hmm. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Now I don't like it as well as I like their as much as I like their, you know, uh, their juicy IPA or the Noble Haze. But it, you know, you also are getting about half the calories. I like of that, this better so. than Art Car. 
Do you really? I do. Do you really? I've had so much art car, I'm not sure if I can be objective about it anymore. <laughs> uh, I mean, I really like it. I will say, though, that when they came out with the Juicy and then the Noble Haze, I wound up liking those better than art cars. But I didn't know if it was, you know, just because it was newer, it was like, you know, the I'd Noble used Haze, to that other... Uh, the Noble Haze, I think, might be the best IPA they've come out with. It, it's terrific. It really it's, is. It's really Have you and tried I, this? Uh, I have not had Noble Haze, but I, I am a big art car fan, and I agree. I could not be objective in this conversation. Uh, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I've loved that for so long. Yeah, but you, I, you, are, you are literally on your own, Ian. So. <laughs> art cars, you know, art cars okay. I know you love love art car. Um, I do. And apparently you love, love art car. Um, and I think it's fine. It's drinkable. It's a good beer. But I, I, I actually like the flavor profile. I like how this leaves the palate, too. Like, I've been talking for just a minute, and it's left the palate enough to where I'm not feeling like there's any pine cone resinous going mm-hmm. on or anything like that. Have um, you gone back to the daiquiri since you've had some I have of not. It? Try it out. Uh, I found it I found the daiquiri to now be a little more tart uh, yep. after after going to the IPA. In in a really good way. Like I really like it. Yeah, the tartness comes out. Mhm. I wonder if that's also because it's warming up too. Oh, mm-hmm. there's a there's a there's a sweet real sweet finish to it now that it didn't have yeah, I think the guava shows up a little bit more as it, yeah, as, as it warms up. Like a syrupy sweet kind of thing on the very end of it. Well, it sure is good. If yeah. we're going to make it through an entire show with these, it's going to uh, it's going to be an Uber. Uh oh, two of my two of my drops have merged into one Uber oh, drop. Oh wow, that's interesting. <laughs> that's interesting. But I tell you what, we'll take a break. We'll finish these up during the break, and then uh, when we come back, what's what's the next cocktail you want to uh, 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 lay on us here? So we're gonna talk about the history of cocktails and we're going to start by making the original american cocktail nice awesome that that will be excellent it'll be when we return it's smoking a toast and show number 201 and hopefully you're watching so you can uh, play along at home and make these for yourself It's smoking and toasting. This is a uh, program that's all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand rolled cigars. Oh, yeah. We are having some uh, good craft beer and some uh, some spirits mixed up into excellent cocktails. Chris Morris is our guest. He is uh, now filling glasses with ice, and and that ice sound is a wonderful sound. You know, it? I, I, so the detail, the level of detail, and he's not even talking about it because I think for him this is everyday whatever. But the fact that he uses one certain ice for mixing and one certain ice for your glass, like he's paying attention to not only all the details that go into the drink, but but the ice matters. Mm-hmm. And how that, much that does really ice matter to you? I'm ice is everything. Ice is everything. Yeah. So just, how many different kinds of ice do you generally end up using in an evening? Uh, in in my program, we use four different types of ice. Four different types and, of ice. And, and it, this isn't like some sort of like one-off thing we routinely use them so we use uh what is affectionately known as sonic ice yes uh, in the local <laughs> we, we have a machine that makes it we have a wonderful scotsman it is one and of my favorite tiny kinds little of ice, balls of ice. i love those yeah so we'll use those for like tropical cocktails in this case it has a very high surface area so this is meant to chill these glasses because mm-hmm. a cold cocktail and a warm glass is um can be quite sinful yes uh we'll use what we call hoshizaki or cold draft ice, which are these uh, machine-made one and one and quarter inch cubes. So this is our usual production ice. This is what we shake your cocktails on, we serve your cocktails on, and then we use two different types of hand-cut ice at Kalba. So we do 
uh, some rather large, like two inch cubes. Um, we, fr we freeze the blocks entirely in house. We cut them down um, with a variety of saws and okay, ice picks freeze, and dangerous wait, equipment. Wait, let's just back nice. up. You freeze the blo huge blocks of ice. Yeah, so we do our, our blocks are about, what would that be, 24 inches by about 18. Um, and they run about six inches deep, and they take about three days to make. But we free we freeze them in house. Wow! Uh, I cut ice at least three mornings a week, cutting it down. So I do larger cubes that are. about... And do you cut out like there's always the top part that has the air bubbles in it that's not clear, and you cut out that section and do the clear so, ice? So yeah, so we use uh, the common method of directional freezing, which is freezing things like a lake. So we, you when you look at a lake, it's always clear on top and uh, cloudy on the bottom. Uh, so we use insulated coolers that have a, the, the top removed. And so what happens is they freeze entirely clear and they push all the impurities into the water, which starts to concentrate at the bottom. And then we catch it before it's all the way frozen through. So all, oh. I, have to, so all I have to do is poke a hole, run the water off, knock off a few pieces of ice, and it's a crystal clear block. You guys are beginning to understand why... The drinks. At, I've got a little the lunch cooler at the house <laughs> that might become the sacrificial stick in the freezer. I, I cooler. I like that. Yeah, that, that could work. That would that would be fun to play with for sure. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't require anything special. I buy I buy my coolers at H E B. So. Okay, that makes sense. But so we do the big big cubes out of there, and then we'll take a lot of the offcuts and sm and smaller pieces that aren't quite thick enough uh, to be a presentation quality ice, and we'll set those off to the side. We'll use those if you want, like. Your pour of whiskey on a single rock, you'll still have a nice big piece, mm -hmm. but it's not like an you know a, a lot of those cubes are as big as this glass, mm -hmm. uh, quite frankly. Right. So uh, an ounce and a half of whiskey on one of those is like kind of real weird and awkward. And when you go to like drink it, like the ice when, is pushing when against the your nose, cube smacks <laughs> against your nose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we'll use a we'll use a smaller cube that's still high quality, still crystal clear, and we'll use that for some of our drinks that come in a little bit smaller glass as well. So you mentioned uh, the history of cocktails. Are, yeah. are cocktails, um, where did they, do they originate? In what culture did the mixed drink originate? So, I mean, mixed drinks have been around forever. Like, as long as we've attempted to get drunk, we have mixed things together. Okay. Which is fairly good. Thousands yeah. upon thousands of years. However, the cocktail, as, it, as it's known now, is a uniquely American invention, which I think is really phenomenal. Um, the roots Thank you, of America. Cocktail and jazz. Yes, there you go. <laughs> yeah. They go well together, and, too. And hot dogs, by so, the way. So it originally started, um, it derives from the English culture of tea. or not, uh, So tea then led to punches, which was you took your citrus and some sugar and some tea and some spirit and spices. And it was a way of showing off your wealth because you could afford ice and spices. Okay, right, because spices were... And, and sometimes you showed off with, like, brandy and champagne, but, like, you mixed it with whatever you had. But mm -hmm. it was, like, ice and spices were, like, a symbol of wealth. And then that moved into the tavern where you had, like, the communal punch bowl. So everybody kind of drank from the one thing. The, the concept of the original of, like, the individual cocktail as we know it is a very American thing. It dates... The first known definition is in 1806 in the Balance and Columbia Repository, where it was defined as a cocktail with a stimulating liquor composed of a spirit of any kind, sugar, water, and bitters. And if that sounds like an old-fashioned, that's because that's what it is. Ah. That's why they call it the old-fashioned, right? Yeah, so the, the best-known origin story that I know for the old-fashioned is that at some point uh, somebody was really angry at people like creating what was called like the improved whiskey cocktail, where you're adding like, maraschino and, mm -hmm. and absinthe, and basically like tinkering with it. And so eventually they was like, I just want a whiskey cocktail the old-fashioned way. And, and that's so, where it came from. And okay. so that's kind of where it comes from is like it is the quintessential definition of a cocktail. So is the old fashioned essentially the first cocktail or did something precede it? I mean it would have been 
the first definition of a cocktail, but what we widely recognize as America's first cocktail is the Sazerac. The Sazerac. And we can more or less date this in or around to about 1838 in New Orleans. Wow. Of course it's New Orleans. I went toward the Sazerac, I'm going to put air quotes up here, brewery in Mm -hmm. New Orleans when we were there at the, uh, over, um, uh, Valentine's Day. Right. It was just about the last time you I could say, go to New I Orleans. say brewery because yeah. I'm yeah. pretty sure they're not brewing it there yeah. anymore. It's just like a, uh, the Sazerac House. Right. But the- yeah, so, the, so the Sazerac House is more of a museum these yeah. days. So it, it originated um, with an apothecary named uh, Antoine Amade Peychaud in 1838. And he was, he was creating a medicinal bitter or, uh, bitters that we now know as Peychaud's bitters. And so he started mixing up this cocktail um, in his apothecary shop, and eventually it became popular, and they began serving it um, at the Sazerac Coffee House. Um, his, his original, uh, the original apothecary was on Royal Street, I think it was 437 Royal, and then the Sazerac House, where it stands now. So a fun thing: there were over 200 coffee houses in New Orleans that day because they didn't like calling them bars. Um, mm, okay, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So they they were they were they, co- have, they were coffee houses. They have no problem calling them bars today. They didn't right. they didn't sell a ton of coffee. Yeah. Right, right. For, for pure historical record. Understood. Yeah. Uh, but the cocktail itself, um, we know it now as being a rye whiskey cocktail. But it was originally the name Sazerac comes from a cognac, Sazerac okay. Forge Fee. Okay. And that's what it was actually named after. And the Sazerac house was known because the owner was like an importer of Sazerac brandy. Uh. Now, where everything went wrong and where I like kind of two worlds colliding is if you talk to uh, anything about wine history, you learn about the the louse of Floxera, which was this vine louse that destroyed like 75% of the wine uh, vines in Europe in the 1880s. And so if you don't have wine, you can't make brandy. And we're Americans and we want to get drunk. And so if we can't get brandy, we start looking for the next thing, which in our case was rye whiskey. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. So that was like two kind of worlds colliding mm-hmm. uh, right there, which then leads down to like other problems uh, with like <laughs> the abolition of absinthe also has to do with the wine industry crumbling. But It tickles uh, uh, my memory a little bit. You're telling a story about the vines. And, and wasn't there a, a Texan who developed a... They're talking about Raymond Hack. Is that what we're yeah, whose winery was just invested in by Houston Cougar Case Keenum, by no the way? Kidding. Yeah, that's no it. Kidding. Actually, in my hometown of Santa Fe. Okay. Uh, uh, Raymond Hack is a friend of mine's grandfather. Small world gets smaller, but yeah, no, he's so he worked on the the Blanc de Bois grape, uh, which was like com- completely resistant. Now, how the wine world eventually rebuilt was they took French grapes and uh, spliced them onto American rootstocks. Because our roots wouldn't, uh, wouldn't get, yeah, a, get, disease, wouldn't get right. attacked. I, I, I had the story kind of floating around. Thanks for doing it. I, I couldn't remember exactly, but that's awesome. Now, you sprinkled, I'm watching you making this cocktail while you're, uh, while you're explaining. You sprinkled something in. Is that the bitters? That is the bitters. Okay. Uh, and a lot of people ask me, like, what is bitters? Um, and I like to describe it like the salt and pepper of the cocktail world. Okay. So it's these really intense kind of macerations of fruits and, and spices. And we literally just add them, like, Dashes. They're, they're it, pretty intense if you try them on their on their oh own. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Now when I when I go to um, my my specs down in uh, Midtown and I go to look at the bitters, there's all kinds of bitters, and I get confused. So where do, where should you start if you wanted to make good cocktails? What's the good first couple of bitters that you should uh, that you should have in your so home for ninety nine percent of your cocktail making career, you only need three. Okay, so you need Angostura, 
That's which is the classic aromatic bitters, lots mm -hmm. of cinnamon, lots of clove. Uh, you need Peychaud's, which is more of like a, it has more of like a fennel and anise kind of quality to it, um, known for like its very vibrant red color. Is that the one you just used that on is, this? That is the one okay. that I use here. And then you need orange bitters. Yeah. So orange bitters, Peychaud's, and Angostura. And Angostura. Okay. And to buy one of each of those will run you less than $30. And they will la those three bottles, when you buy them, will last you forever. Months, if not years. Okay. Unless you go through them at like absolute terminal velocity, like a <laughs> professional bartender does. <laughs> I love absolute terminal velocity. Uh, all right. So this is the Sazerac that you're mixing up. Greg, what Greg Doxakis says that's a sexy bottle of cognac. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had a feeling he might like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so tell me again what you've put in here so far. And then I want to ask you about stirring it rather than shaking it. Yeah. So, so this far we've put some spirit. Mm -hmm. So we've used Pierre Ferrand 1840. Uh, so that's a lovely spirit. A little bit higher proof. This is why Pierre Ferrand developed this was to make cocktails and historically correct cocktails. Uh, we added some sugar. In this case, uh, we used a turbinado sugar, two to one, a little bit more kind of rich. Complements that like oak and that that toasty note. Uh, we've added some ice, so we've added our water and we've added our bitters. So we've added Peychauds. So right now we basically got a fancy old fashioned. But what separates the Sazerac from everything else, on top of the Peychauds, is its signature rinse of absinthe. All right, so I was going to ask you about the stirring, but let's talk absinthe I for was, a second. I was going there, yeah, too. <laughs> I, I knew we were going to get into the absinthe discussion. So so everybody wants to know, what is the deal with absinthe? Why is it such a big deal? Why is it banned? Is it banned? I feel like you just Jerry Seinfeld did that one. Yeah. <laughs> What's the deal with absinthe? <laughs> What's the deal with so the it, absinthe? <laughs> so it's not actually banned. Uh, so so okay. it, it was originally banned in 1912 because there was a story that came out of a guy that Drank absinthe and they went on like a murdering spree and like Chris Benoit his family, okay. um, and they were basically like, nope, can't have that. Uh, but then it came out like he had drank like a lot of brandy and had done like you know morphine. Well, um, there's always that, yeah. And then they, but they sponsored this big study by a scientist um, to basically say that absinthe was evil. And by they, I mean the wine industry, because their sales were uh, were crumbling a little bit. No politics in there. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> yep, 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 exactly. Yeah, you thought we were going to get away without politics on this show. Yeah, so a little bit of creative lobbying, a little bit of like obscuring the truth, and next thing you know, absinthe was deemed illegal. And it remained so until 2007 yeah. when a research scientist from New Orleans, bringing it all back home, a guy named Ted Bro, um, who's a really fascinating individual you'll be walking around new orleans with him and he's like that cannon once shot somebody in 1832 <laughs> and then he'll talk about like shooting squirrels in his his blinds and yeah. you're like and it's all the same to him and yeah. it's all and like but he's an insanely talented research chemist and so he went back and got like pre like his vintage absence and like proved like the levels of because there's a chemical that's said to be present in absinthe called thujone, that everyone says is hallucinogenic. That's the wormwood? That's that yeah. that's, comes from the distillation of grand wormwood, and it is hallucinogenic. However, um, for you to ingest enough thujone or thujone for you to actually start hallucinating, you would long be dead from alcohol poisoning. Okay, got it. Yeah. Uh, because absinthe, like the one we're using here, is 130 proof. Like, it's incredibly yeah. high alcohol, and it, and it has to be. And so... Yeah, if you sit around in Parisian cafes for four hours a day drinking 130-proof spirit and doing opium, like, yeah, you'll probably cut off your ear. Like, okay. it, like that's that's yeah. kind of a thing. I Makes mean, I, sense. I've, I've literally uh, been to a party with, with Jeremiah Butler, and we drank 
absinthe that is well above the American legal limit. And we had multiple pours of them. And you know what happened? We got drunk. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> You we, showed up late. Okay, let me. Let me <laughs> we, we showed up late with a bottle of whiskey. Make sure I get this story straight. You were with Jeremiah, and you got drunk. Uh, it's in New Orleans. In New Orleans, I don't know how that happens. I do have one, one and only one absinthe story, and it uh, dates back to a time when I was in uh, Washington D.C. running a radio station there. One of the guys that worked for me—that was the absinthe that you just sprayed in there. Huh? That is. Yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry. so the absinthe was you could sprayed. Smell it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, it's traditionally rinsed in the in in the glass. Um, some people say for aroma. Mm. Um, a much more common theory is that it was just the highest proof thing they had around, so it okay. disinfected the glass. Yeah, I'm sorry. It works. Your story. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so I was in Washington D.C. I was uh, running a radio station there, and one of the guys that worked for me was a huge fan of Marilyn Manson. And Marilyn Manson was coming to town, and he begged me to try to set up an interview. So I went through all of the hoops that you had to jump through. And what we had to agree to do to do the interview was Marilyn would only do it after his show. So at, like, basically 2, 3 in the morning by the time the show was over and everything was done. So everybody had to come in to the station at, like, 2 o'clock in the morning. And I went up to, to, you know, just make sure everything went okay. And it did. Marilyn was very nice. He was very accommodating. But he brought with him to the studio a bottle of absinthe and sat and drank it during the interview. And I couldn't help but think it was just totally for effect. I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe, he, really, maybe he really did like it. I don't know. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that he was just trying to be weird. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, he wanted that to, to be part of, his, part of his narrative, part of his story. That he was uh, that he was doing absent. So, um, but that's my only real absent story. I'm not a huge fan of the whole, you know, licorice anise right. uh, heavy uh, smell. So it's never really there appealed a- to me too much. But sometimes in certain things like this, it, it could work. Just you know? going back to the Marilyn Manson story, there was a Onion article headline that said Marilyn Manson going door to door to find new people to shock. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter how shocking you are. It all does wear off eventually, doesn't it? Um, all right, so this is the Sazerac. This smells awesome. Yeah, so, so it really the, does. So this is the Sazerac. This is America's original cocktail. I know we got, it's a, got we got a little bit off on cocktail history there. Well, yeah, but it's got an almost floral nose to it, though. Yeah, so this is also finished off with a little bit of lemon oil as well, which complements all that, like, anise I love this. and fennel. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. And, and the like, cognac. And, and this is a traditional way to serve it. You serve it in what we call down, which is a rocks glass with no ice. So and, and you, before you poured this, you had ice sitting in all these glasses for a while to cool to the glass To chill the glass. Yeah, because, because what's happening is we're putting a cold cocktail in here, and I want this cocktail to stay cold. Mm. Um, so, and you know, when we do it at the bar, we actually keep these glasses in the freezer. So they come out, like, right. completely frosted over. Ian, you're right. This is absolutely delicious. The cognac... Is so good in here, mm-hmm. like it makes such a difference, and it's a completely different drink. Yeah, so this was kind of the birth of the American cocktail was mm. the Sazerac in the 1830s, and then wow. throughout the the 50s, you start to see more of a development. We have the first bartender's book, the first cocktail book published 1862, Jerry Thomas, the Professor, and that just explodes the craft. The other thing that really helps is the commercial ice trade. It became much easier for people to get ice, so you can make cocktails. Right, so you can make cocktails, yeah. In, in bars. And then from 1860 to about 1910 is what we call sort of the golden age. That's when, like, you start seeing the old-fashioned being a thing. The daiquiris developed in 1890. You have the Manhattan. You have the Martini. These all come to be cocktails in that age. And then in 1919, 
Well, we messed the whole thing up. Oh, what happened? Prohibition. Oh, prohibition. That yeah. Whole prohibition <laughs> thing. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of. That so sort we. Of puts so a damper on it. interesting enough, we messed it up, but but it was a good thing for the rest of the world, basically, because all of our talented bartenders left and they went over to to Europe and you know Japan and and Egypt and all these other places and Cuba. So they left town and they kept bartending, and so. Uh, it did a lot. You started seeing a lot more citrus in cocktails during Prohibition because we weren't getting the best booze. So we right. had to, to kind of you had to flavor it a little bit more. Any, yeah. Anybody who's had to dispose of some some booze after a party knows you got to kind of obscure it to get it down. Right. A little bit of sugar to help the medicine go down, if you will. So I'm guessing that once these bartenders, once Prohibition was repealed and the bartenders started coming back, they'd learned quite a bit while they were abroad about things that, um, that were so, happening so in other countries, So the craft had continued to, to develop, um, but the, the problem is, like, we repeal in 1933, and then obviously by, like, 1940, we have kind of an unstable world thing, and, like, mm-hmm. the, the U.S. is recovering from a depression at that point. So there wasn't a whole lot kind of developing. It was more like private clubs and things. Uh, so then you hit the world, you know, you hit World War II, and then after that we have, you know, a reasonable economic boom. So we have the 50s and the 60s, and this is your... James Bond, who we'll talk about uh, when we talk about bartending at home. I have a lot to say about James Bond. Um, but you start seeing more. And what what happened, <clears throat> And because we'll, I, I did a lot of, of reading, and I've always wondered, like, how did we go from, like, the the, the martini and, and the gimlet and these beautiful cocktails to the abominations that we were all raised on? How did we get there? And what happened was it was a de-emphasis of the bar. That's because with that economic boom and with more of, like, the industrialization of America, people started moving more to the suburbs, so they started entertaining more at home. Now, if you're preparing to have friends over and you're putting together, a, you know, a beautiful spread of, of canapes and you have your, you know, cocktail dress on, like, you don't want to get lemon juice on yourself. So people started making right. it easier for you to entertain at home, and that's where you start seeing, like, sour mixes right, and right. things start coming. Mm-hmm. And so that, we kind of denigrate the cocktail through the 50s and 60s, and then 1970 hits and disco hits, and then everything's color and crazy and we lose our minds and we start you know making you know Are you becomes, suggesting that disco it, made everything and it better shots <laughs> sex on the beach and, and that kind of stuff no, right I, i'm i'm actually saying exactly the opposite oh um but then what kind of happens is so that's where we get into like the 1980s and you just start everything becomes a martini and it's up and it's blue and it's colorful and yeah you're like your sex on the beaches and you sugar 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 and we kind of lose the art and the balance and like the skill of craft bartending um, was it the early 2000s where that so where it started to come back? So where it first started to come back was the very, very late 90s. Okay. We have bars like Milk and Honey, uh, at least in the U.S. Like everyone else was like still doing just fine. Just <laughs> We had to reclaim our craft. And so it was like 1999 uh, is when uh, the Seminole Bar uh, Milk and Honey in New York was first open. It was like right next to a Mahjong parlor in like a poor part of town. <laughs> and it was a guy that just wanted a bar with like 12 seats to make drinks for his friends. Mm. But... Uh, the, the way that I like to describe it, right, is all the drinks that we had been making were hair metal, and then, like, the craft bartending world came in as, like, a very well-dressed Nirvana. <laughs> and it was just, like, bad attitudes, and we're not doing anything like you've been doing it. We're not doing the bright colors. Like, right. we're, we're, we're raw. We're doing it old school. We're doing it the right way. Like, we're having rules, and... You know, we were kind of pretentious assholes for a while, quite frankly, but we're over that now. So I, I was going to ask you about this. I used to go to a uh, a little spot here in Houston, and I won't name it because I'm not, I don't, I don't want to trash them at all. But they were so particular about this particular bar, about 
what the ingredients were. Was it, it on, only was came, it on Westheimer? I, 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 They're much nicer these days, I yes. promise. Well, they, they were so particular. They made great drinks, but I always wondered if it wasn't just a little more precious than it needed to be. And I haven't been back in a while, so... Uh, but does, I, I did enjoy going there. the name of the there. bar, is it like a blacksmith tool? I, I don't, I don't want to say the name of the bar, but it rhymes with Ranville. <laughs> so, uh, no, but... I, 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 but highly, I highly encourage, go on like a Tuesday, give them another... Like, I, I loved the drinks they made. I've been there made. a few times, I loved, actually, yeah, and I had loved good the drinks they made, don't get me wrong. Well, I, and my experiences were good, but it always seemed so precious. I mean, they were only squeezing the juice of a lemon from the west side of a tree that was grown in a grove that was in, you know, a certain part of They're selling you the story. I, I get it. It just, sometimes it seemed a little And much. it was only watered with unicorn tears. So my question and to you was, to make a unicorn was, that, was that legit? Very difficult. Was, was that why the cocktails were so good? Because they were being that precious about it? I mean, they were just doing the same thing that I'm doing here. They were just taking it and, and paying attention to it and putting craft and passion into it and you couldn't fault them for that that's for sure and but i i think at a point um and luckily we're, we're past it thank god i think every city when they start to kind of get into the cocktail revolution has to go through like its pretentious bartender phase <laughs> um because otherwise like people just don't get it like you like you have to be okay for like six months to a year like if you're coming in you're saying like i found these cocktails and i want to make cocktails and i, I want to share this with you know Everyone that I know in, I don't know, Boise, Idaho, or, like, Bismarck, North Dakota. Like, if you want to be the first ones there, you have to be okay with, like, six months to a year of telling a lot of people, like, no. Like, I don't have that. I don't have the ingredients right, to make right. this. And, like, from a business perspective, like, you want to make everybody happy and you want to make money. But, like, if you stick to your guns and you have a clear vision, eventually you don't have to be that way. Because then people come and they find you out. Because of that. Right. Well, one of the things I loved about Anvil when I used to go there, I used to go there when I was single. Ranville. And, and, uh, Ranville, yeah. Ranville. Uh, one of the things I loved about it, though, is not only were the cocktails good, but they had great selections of craft beer. And I actually got to witness a guy come in and ask for a Budweiser, and it was the first place I think I'd ever been where they said, no, we don't have Budweiser. And I was like, yes! Like, they really had a commitment to... There being a certain yeah. level of quality, and maybe it was a little snooty, but uh, at least on the beer front, I understood it, you know, and and it was a, uh, it, it was a good thing. Anyway, I'll have to go back there because they made some great drinks. I know, like they're they're one of the best. I mean, they're uh, you know they're up for like the ninth year in a row for like potentially uh, best American high volume cocktail bar at mm. the Tales of the Cocktail Spirited Awards, mm. and like they've been a James Beard semifinalist for like their bar program year after year. And, like, I know the era you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, they were assholes. I was an <laughs> asshole in those days. All of my friends were jerks. Mm -hmm. Like, we all kind of had to be for a little bit just to, like, show people, like, no, we are taking this seriously. And, like, right. you're going this to listen. This is a thing. And, like, and, well, and, and we're, did, super, we're super passionate did, and, like, and you did just go with it. that they were serious about it. That, yeah. was, that, was, that was the good thing. All right, I tell you what, this has been a long segment. We're going to take a break. We'll, we'll not taste the beer in this segment. We'll do that when we come back. In fact... We'll open up the next segment with this beer because I'm actually really excited about being able to taste this particular wild ale. It's the one called "I Wish I Could Go to a Tiki Bar." So I thought it'd be a perfect, <laughs> I thought it'd be a perfect uh, thing to bring along while we're doing cocktails. So uh, we'll come back and we'll do that. It's smoking and toasting. Our guest is Chris Morris, and just like last week, I think this is going to be a long show. <laughs> Thank you.
Shamo didn't work, did it? Fortunately, you're still enjoying that cocktail. I hate this. <laughs> I can tell. It's empty. You've, <laughs> you've hated it all the way to the bottom of the glass. Right. Welcome back. It's Smoking and Toasting, show number 201. We're doing cocktails today. Chris Morris is our guest, and we are brought to you by MyCigarShirts.com, the coolest shirts for cigar fans of, uh, of all sizes and types, uh, starting at under 20 bucks. Grab them for yourself. Or for anybody you know that loves cigars, at MyCigarShirts.com. They are a supporter of this show, so uh, please help us by supporting them. We appreciate you uh, coming in for the show. Ian, we we uh, have got a, a special beer. At least it looks like a special beer to me. This, I think, is a special beer. It says, I wish I could go to a tiki bar, painkiller tiki-inspired wild ale. Um, single barrel syndicate, it says underneath that. It's from Celador Ales. Uh, in, and then it says, uh, in Los Angeles. And then it says... Oh, it says something about rotate the bottle, gently right? Gently rotate this bottle to get the juices into suspension. Into suspension. I like that. That sounds like something that you might say, Chris. <laughs> I know, get right? Get the juices and into And then suspension. it says, garnish with fresh nutmeg, and it has this little baggie. Oh, so that's nutmeg in the baggie? I didn't know. I thought it was a decoration. No, I think we're going to garnish. Well, this I will say this: when you have ground nutmeg, when you have a painkiller, when you're at the sand, dollar, so, the soggy dollar, soggy bar. dollar bar, yeah, that that's what they do is they sprinkle the nutmeg yeah, you know, on top I, of the it's beer. Like, it's like one of the absolute defining elements. Absolutely, if it doesn't have nutmeg, it's not a painkiller. So they actually send nutmeg along with it. That's you don't awesome. Have, to have a grinder with you, do? You? I don't. I got a pocket <laughs> knife. Are they uh, are they like solid chunks of nutmeg? Is that what it is? It is a nutmeg. It is an actual nutmeg. Wow. Uh, okay, well, we'll. You can maybe flake a little bit off with a knife into the top of the uh, top of the bottles. I just want to say I don't know what they're doing to our building, but it sounds like the uh, uh, the Nazis are about to drop bombs. That sounds like an air raid siren to me. I don't know what that is, but uh, I apologize for that in the background of the show there we here. Go. Uh, Ian, you are you are the master. See, you're you're that guy that always has the right tool for the right occasion. Called a pocket knife. Yeah, but it works. This is the kind of ridiculous level of detail that I appreciate on the primal level. (laughs) That's awesome. And on smoking and toasting, you wouldn't necessarily expect that. So it's pretty cool. Uh, It's pretty cool. So Ian, while you're while you're grinding up the nutmeg here, uh, this beer looks to be something really interesting. I, I will I will say we've had. We've had a number of very interesting beers on the 200-plus episodes of this show that we've done, this but we've never good. had one that came with a nutmeg nugget. You know who else wishes they could go to a tiki bar? Who? Me. You know who else wishes they could go to a tiki bar? You. Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. It's just, uh, there is a little tiki bar in uh, North Hollywood, Los Angeles. I can't think of the name of it. I found it when I was there for on a business trip once. And that was one of the coolest places I've ever seen. Had little volcanoes in the back, kind of like when the Florida Kanye people came uh, on the show. You know how they had that little volcano that yeah. they brought with them. Uh, it was uh, it was very much like that. It was just man, it was a fun place to spend an evening. Uh, but a real, real honest to god tiki bar is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So I understand. I completely relate to. I wish I could go to a tiki bar. Uh, so I would say, Ian, as you're pouring those, it comes out looking kind of like maybe an amber or a blonde. It's a it's a pretty it's light a color. It's a very ale. very bright straw color. Yep, yep, it really is, and it's got a nice little uh, nice little bit of foam on the top. Nice for you to be able to float some of that nutmeg on it, I think. And so you already shaved off some uh, some shavings of the nutmeg, correct? 
I am really curious. Now, wild ales in general are uh, just a totally you know, we only do wild ales occasionally on the show and they're always really interesting and different. But I wouldn't have guessed this this tiki painkiller inspired thing would be uh based on a wild ale, but it's going to be interesting to see what it tastes like. Man, I will say on the nose, it does smell a bit like a painkiller. <laughs> the nutmeg is so fun. Uh, maybe it's the nutmeg that that gives you that floating on the top of the uh, uh, of the foam here. Make my pocket knife smell good. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. It's always, I do keep it reasonably clean. Just always, in case you're, I appreciate that. <laughs> just we, in case you're wondering, we all do. what I've dragged my pocket knife through. So I most, do we need to sterilize it? I think maybe so. Yeah. <laughs> I most certainly do uh, wish that I could go to a tiki bar. I think we all feel that same way. So it'll so be interesting to see. Yet? Does this transport us there? No, I've only uh, Chris, only smelled Chris it. went first. Chris has gone first. Thoughts? That's good. Oh, that's real good. <laughs> Is that kind of good? Mm. Well, I mean, it, wow. it, it doesn't have like. The, did I did I garnish that well enough? You did. You, you did a great you job. Did, you did a phenomenal job, particularly under the circumstances. <laughs> the pocket knife comes to the rescue. So my take on it is that it's all painkiller up front, and all and wild ale on the, the finish. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because because you get that sort of farmhouse vibe once you are you know about to swallow, and then after on the on the retro hail. But up front, you just get that. It is almost like you are drinking a pain. Yeah, it, it it doesn't have like the the body of a painkiller, mm-hmm. but it nails that pineapple orange. Yes, like, but I think they note. made up. I think they made up for that body with the like. This is really highly carb. Yeah. Yes, it is, which, and it kind of brings a little more up front. And I'll say a lot of times when you have a beer like this, if it has this much carbonation. That's a strike against it for me. Like I think, for sure. I think they have, uh, and there's some IPAs, uh, even like some hazies that I've had that are like this would be really good if they backed off the carbonation a little bit. But in this case, the carbonation really works. What kind of adds to it? I like the way the nutmeg kind of mm-hmm. floats around in the palate after you uh, take yeah. a sip. Yes, absolutely does. You get wild ale, and then here comes the nutmeg. Yeah. This is what I would call coarsely ground nutmeg. This may be one of the <laughs> Single most interesting beers we've ever had on the show. Like, Agreed. Uh, you know what? And we came some, with a nutmeg bag. We've had some crazy <laughs> stuff, but this is this is just awesome. Well, I'm so glad that uh, that we were able to try this. Um, the uh, beer, the brewery is from Los Angeles, and I will admit I don't know that much about Celador Ales, but I am going to go and investigate them uh, because when I think of the LA beer scene, to be honest, I think of a lot of West Coast IPAs. You think of outfits like Stone. You think of, uh, even though they're San Diego, not Los Angeles. But you think about those kind of breweries, uh, 805, um, Firestone Walker, those guys that make you know some really good but more mainstream beer styles. This is completely off in a different corner. Here. Blend of wine and whiskey barrel aged wild ales infused with roasted coconut and orange zest and you get all of that going on that's true and bottle condition with dull pineapple juice is dull the highest quality ingredient we've ever used no it's fucking delicious (laughs) (laughs) that's what it actually says that's great right here is it the highest quality ingredient we've ever used no i I will say this would not be the same cocktail or the, the same beer without that nutmeg yeah, mm-hmm. it, it it honestly the makes nutmeg it. really does well, add. Yeah. I There's think. a reason, yeah, that they actually include the little pouch and yeah. the nutmeg piece with the beer. 
That's phenomenal. I, this is an 8% as well. It's one of those things that I wish everybody that I know that likes beer would have a chance <laughs> yeah. to taste this. You know? You say, I just want to share this I have more nutmeg taste. here if you need some. <laughs> you just want to share this taste with other people. Uh, you know, and I'm not... I, I enjoy wild ales occasionally, but it's not something I go to a lot. Wow, this is this feels like a special treat, though. Yeah, no, this is this is a super. This is one of those beers that look how much we're talking about it. This this is one of those that inspires mm-hmm. conversation, and I absolutely love beers that do that. That makes me very happy. Well, it's like it, it really reminds me of the first time that uh, you and I got together. We got I don't now remember what beer it was, but whatever we were trying that evening was something we kept talking about and talking yeah. about and talking about in the same way. And uh, I also it, I also have to say, like, they didn't spare expense on this beer. Like, this, uh, even though it's just a little thing with a nutmeg, it can't be cheap to make this happen on every bottle. Not on only every that, single just bottle, paying yeah. someone to sit there and tie this to every single <laughs> bottle. Right. I mean, down to down to that simple you thing. You know, what, what I really love about this, though, is that this is a beer, if you manage to get your hands on one of these do not drink it at home by yourself save this for when you're hanging out with a friend or a buddy and and you can actually yeah, have this, this kind is of conversation a great about conversation it. beer right here with the nutmeg especially mm, wow so uh our mission for uh, the next couple of weeks is to find out more about Celador ales because if it unless this is a weird one-off can you imagine if they're doing a number of different beers that are as interesting as this one yeah, even if it doesn't it. come with nutmeg or whatever. Right. That's, if I it's mean, just, that's so cool. If it's just even as remotely interesting yeah, as I was this. Like, I, I'm on the hook. Like, yeah. Totally. They, they, they've they got their claws. Yeah, like, in, for sure. Celador Ales that's so out of Los so Angeles. Cool. So, uh, Chris, what are we uh, working our way towards cocktail-wise here? So, uh, when we started talking about like what we could do, as, as you mentioned, alcohol consumption has gone on Even at, better as it warms up. And so I thought we would talk about um, just how to make cocktails at home. Okay. Because um, it is different. I mean, if you're is. at home, you don't have the, probably, the mo- multiple ice selections and some of the things that yeah. that you're talking you about know, that you do. When I make cocktails at home, it's usually two parts whiskey. That's your general rule. That's it. <laughs> no, no, that's the actual <laughs> oh, cocktail. Oh, that's the actual cocktail. <laughs> okay, gotcha, yeah. Well, you know, I make a decent margarita. I don't mess that one up. <laughs> I make a decent margarita, and I'm proud of my dirty martini. But beyond that, I'm a complete cocktail novice. Yeah. You know, it's just, and I, and I think those are, on the cocktail scoreboard, some of the easier things to make. I mean, they, they I mean, all cocktails are easy to make. Have you, have you seen uh, what I've done, like? I've I've literally just used this thing and filled things up to lines and made yeah. them cold. Yeah, that's you know that's the intrinsic part of bartending is all the rest. I can teach you how to do everything that I've done in like ten minutes. But it still feels a little like Tom Brady saying but it's he's easy to listener. throw the football. Exactly. You know, no, for for sure. Um, but I but I say that like yes, when when I do it and I have the the really nice like you know Japanese you know cut glassware and like all these like artisanal bar tools like that's all part of the experience and like you just naturally are going to think it's better it's like <laughs> i think that's we true do, we do drink way. with our right, eyes right, i mean like, that's a natural it, thing like if you watched aj fernandez hand roll a cigar and hand it to you it doesn't matter if he was using like floor sweepings you're going to think it's fantastic <laughs> and i'm going to smoke it and, love and you it. are going <laughs> to smoke it <laughs> totally and you're going to look totally. him in it, you're going to look him in the eyes and just say el mejor el mejor yeah el mejor and, you know like Fanboy. How do you say fanboy in Spanish? <laughs> yeah. So like, 
it, it, it's naturally going to, to seem better, but like you can still do the very base functions of what I do at home. Like the cocktail we're going to make here, we're going to make a Manhattan two different ways, and it's three three things, including two parts whiskey. I love that. You were <laughs> you were one third of the way there, sir. <laughs> All right, you're almost there. This is going to be my. It's going to be my next mixed drink. At if home, you're right? one third of the way, yeah, yeah, this is something you can do. Because I've nailed the two parts whiskey drink. Yeah, I understand. You know, and and most of the of the jiggers that you can buy, the measuring tools that we use are two to one. Yeah. Okay. So you you literally this is as hard as it gets to mess up. Um, <laughs> so it's it's an incredibly simple cocktail. It comes with a really great heuristic so that you can't mess it up. So the recipe that we use is two one two, two parts whiskey to one part vermouth, two dashes of bitters. How do you remember that? It's the area code for Manhattan. Two one two. <laughs> so two parts whiskey. Yeah. One part. Vermouth? One part sweet vermouth. Sweet vermouth. Okay. Sweet vermouth. So and vermouth, what's the difference between sweet and dry? One's sweet. And one's dry. All right, so it's a little, okay. more, it's a, it's a little more complicated than that. Show at one point. Okay, so, yeah. so vermouth was all, ba- it all started as a way that, basically to preserve wine that was good, that was going off, that was going stale. So vermouth actually translates to wormwood in German. Okay. And so you would basically take like old champagne stocks and you would fortify them with like additional brandy and you would infuse them with like herbs and spices so that you could drink them, usually with like okay. soda, soda water. And then we got them in the States, and we took them to their final form, which was we made cocktails out of them, namely the martini and the Manhattan. I was going to say, do you use vermouth in your martinis? Absolutely. Okay. I, okay. I, had, a, I had a long uh, existential crisis determining the four cocktails that we're going to do today because I really wanted to fit a martini <laughs> in. Um, well, okay, so, so in a way I'm glad you didn't because I'd like to just say now we'd love to invite you back. And either we can have you do both of these, or maybe we have someone else. Can, can, can I interrupt up? you? I yeah. like martinis. I think martinis are wonderful. Yeah. He likes some weird cold drink made out of vodka. Okay, so this is what I'm getting at. I would really love to have a drink off between gin martinis and vodka martinis. I, I'm, I'm so here for this. So, so are, are <laughs> but are you a gin purist? Are you I, a guy that does not? Accept the vodka martini as an as an acceptable kind of martini. I mean, I, I accept it as a thing that exists. Um, I I don't believe it's in any way, shape, form, or fashion on par or superior to a gin martini. Okay, so here's the thing. Matter of fact, it has its own name, vodka For, martini. It, no, vodka martini, as defined by Playboy in the 1960s, is called a kangaroo. I knew I should have read the articles. I <laughs> wait, you didn't? No. Well, I obviously did. Clearly, uh, okay. So, <laughs> so, so, all right. So, here's the thing. Let me let me put out the call right now. If you are told you I read them, Dad. If you are listening to the show, I told my dad I read them too. Uh, if you are listening to the show and you are someone who feels like you make a great vodka martini, please contact us because we want to. We'd love to have Chris come in, make the gin martini. Have you come in, make the vodka martini, and we'll taste them all. That can't be a bad thing, Ian. Zero percent chance that it's bad. Oh, oh, yeah, same. Okay. No, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. no. I'm no, I'm not claiming victory. Okay, uh, no, gotcha. I know. Right. I, I'm. Yeah, and it's not even really a contest. I just want to. Yeah, I mean, no, because you're making compare. a martini or a cold vodka drink. They're right. not even the same thing. All right, so we'll contrast and compare. Oh, I like you. Okay, yeah, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. So, the, so the one thing I will point out about vermouth, and it's. Particularly, it, it hasn't done much to, to the Manhattan, but it, it's basically killed the, the proper gin martini. Because how many people do you know that say they don't like vermouth? The thing is, vermouth is a wine product, and we forget that. Once okay. your vermouth is open, right. it needs to be in the fridge. 
Mm. It needs to be kept cold. Even like a dry vermouth should be Ab- kept cold. Absolutely. Okay. Good to know. Absolutely. I mean, they have a little bit of like brandy added to them. They're relatively fortified, so they're so they'll survive <coughs> for a little bit. But they are a wine product. They will spoil just like your white wine will spoil. If you leave, so you buy it warm, but you refrigerate it. As soon Absolutely. As you once it's it. open and once there's oxygen introduced, it needs to be refrigerated. And, and that, I did not know that. And so, so what eventually happens, and it leads to this vicious cycle of everyone goes to a bar that doesn't know this, and they get a martini, and they pull the Noily Pratt off of the back bar that's been sitting under the lights for six with, months. With dust on the and top. And they, they put that in there, and they go, Jesus Christ, this is terrible. I guess I don't like vermouth. Mm, gotcha. And so then what happens? The bar never goes through its vermouth, so they don't have to buy right, anymore. So, so, you, so literally no one ever gets to taste a cocktail the way it should be with fresh quality ingredients. See, this is, these are the things you learn on smoking and yeah. toasting. This is important stuff. Like That's one of the single most important things that you can do at home is if you're making martinis, if you're making Manhattans, or any of the derivatives of those, once that vermouth is open, store it in your fridge. Do you use a dry uh, vermouth for martinis or sweet? Dry. Dry for uh, martinis. Yep. But what you did here was sweet, correct? So, so sweet vermouth. So this is ma- uh, based, basically they're just, one is... Uh, based on red wine, one is based on white wine. One, okay. So Sweet is based on white wine, I would assume, and and no, the other way around. No, the way around. Yeah. Okay. Um, or as they were commonly known in the in the old cocktail menus as French and and Italian vermouth. Okay. Um, and so they they serve different purposes. So the the dry dry vermouth tends to be a little more kind of herbal, a little bit more bitter. The sweet vermouth has a sugar component to it. Um, it's a little bit darker, so it complements like oak aged spirits, whiskey and and cognac and rum and things like that. Um, so we've already added one ounce, so one part of our sweet vermouth. We're going to add some bitters. This is a little cheater top, so I have to add twice the amount. So two okay. dashes. And this is what kind of bitters? This is just a, uh, this is a house-made aromatic because this is what I grabbed at the bar before it's I came like over an here. Angostura, I would say. It's similar to Angostura. And then just to show that I'm not using any sort of tricks or chicane or anything that Nothing you can't buy. Nothing up your sleeve, folks. Like we're. And I wanted to make this in a, in a way that people might make them at home. So I'm actually using a much nicer whiskey than I would make at the bar. So we're using Wild Turkey Long Branch. Okay, so, but at the bar, you might use just a sort of a, a, a... So at the bar, I'd probably, like, my general go-to is something like Maker's Mark or Buffalo Trace. Something okay. in that, that nice, reasonable, good right. good, good quality. Good but, uh, but, I, but I know a lot range. of people at home are going to use whatever they have around and. The one thing that I I will definitely say it's okay to use really good whiskey in cocktails, like okay. So it, th- this is this is brings it, up a great question because I was going to ask you this about the rum back when you were doing the daiquiri. You used a four year um, uh, from uh, Florida Cana. Would it have made the cocktail any better if you had used a twelve or an eighteen, or is it negligible? Uh, or it, is it not better and just different? It's not. It's not necessarily better. It's different. Okay, it is a really great way of saying it. So you'd have a lot more kind of sweetness coming from like the the oak profiles, things like that. The same thing like if you use a rye whiskey instead of a bourbon, you're going to get more spice. Mm-hmm. So if you use a bourbon, you're going to get a little bit sweeter cocktail. Um, you know, if you use your your fifty sixty dollar rye, you're going to probably get a better cocktail out of it, and like that's perfectly fine. I don't tend to use them at the bar because I have to charge you a lot of money for them because I have to buy my liquor from liquor stores too. Right. Like, so with the margarita, though, I mean, it's it's been fairly well established that you don't need to go for the Añejo uh, tequila. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, I think with missed drinks, though, there's a certain uh, point of diminished returns depending on what you're mixing it with. Like, right. for instance, if you're mixing it with Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola will mask 
a ton of stuff that you get in a really higher end whiskey. Whereas, yeah. whereas if you mix it with Jack Daniels, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. And Jack Daniels has enough harshness to cut through it and add to the and flavor. Give you that whiskey and coke. But yeah. if you take, for instance, Buffalo Trace, which is about the same price point, um, and mix it with it, it's different. It's not. You're you're kind of masking that Buffalo Trace because it's a little more. What's the word I'm looking for? Complex. Mm-hmm. I think I think that depending on what you're mixing, that's going to make the difference. Well, I, I think a lot of so the difference between something like a, like a whiskey and coke, or like you know dark and stormies and Cuba Libres and highballs and things like that, uh, those tend to be more about just like you're talking about. They're more alcohol delivery systems than yeah. they are really well thought out. Like yeah, yeah if actual you, mixed like, drinks. Like, right, sure, yeah. if you go to some cocktail bars, like you can get a Cuba Libre with a Mexican Coke. You know, they, and mm-hmm. they they take it a little more seriously. That's perfectly fine. You know, but when you're talking and you're going out and getting things like Manhattans and, and martinis and whiskey sours and old fashions, these are cocktails that are engineered to show off the main spirit. Yeah. They're not they're not by design. Right. It's not so much to about cover them up. The blend, it's about uh, and, and taking that main spirit and enhancing and, it. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with like what we call the one in one. You know, mm-hmm. the whiskey and coke, the the gin and tonic. You know, I, I drink a lot of gin and tonics. Like they're phenomenal, and you can play yeah. around with different tonics and different gins, and you get this different experience. I get this gin from Smithville called Dirty June, from Bone Spirits. That's a. I think I've heard of it. I I don't think I've had it. It's so good. Is it? Yeah. We had a next good, time we hang, I'll bring a bottle. We had there a very go. good gin on the show a couple of weeks ago. Was the um, uh, was the one that oh, why can't I think of the name of it? It was the one uh, we know we impacted sales because that of, was the it uh, had a funny name. Yeah, it was a uh, okay. I'll have to go back and look now. This is just a brain fart. That's the reason I'm not calling it back up. It was really good though. We enjoyed it. It was very. Uh, um, it was nice and floral without being like over the top lavender. It was yeah. a very good. Uh, was a very good gin. Well, it's such an incredibly diverse had. category. Yeah, like you, there's yeah. there's so many like ways to play around with it. So what I've done here, I've built two different martinis. And anyone who's ever watched uh, James Bond or is in <laughs> any way, shape, form, or fashion in cop, uh, pop culture knows the old phrase, shaken but not stirred. Mm-hmm. Um, he's dead wrong. Dead wrong. Um, ironically, he, he literally did that to show like that he was a rebel. Not because it was, right. it was proper technique. Like, By the way, gastro gin was what we had. Gastro gin. Gastro gin. It, up, yeah. it was a Dutch dry gin from oh, yeah, the, I remember, here, I remember from hearing you talk Mahal. about that. Yeah, it was really yeah. good. It, so so what you're saying is the whole shaken but not stirred martini thing, Yeah, that doesn't necessarily make so, a better martini. That was James Bond saying, I'm going to do it my way. Yeah. Interesting. I, I, everyone associates the, the martini and the Vesper with the James Bond, but you know, throughout the history of the works by Ian Fleming, the most ordered cocktail by James Bond, scotch and soda. Interesting. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, Good to know. That one's just not as sexy when Daniel well, Craig says it. Right. So, <laughs> and and you kind of get it. Like it, it almost became a thing with the James Bond movies, yeah. more so than than the yeah, Fleming books. Yeah. Exactly. And the re- the reason that that I've done this with the Manhattan is I don't think any cocktail shows off the shaken versus stirred dichotomy nearly as well as the Manhattan. And you okay. made both of these the exact same other exact, than exact same way. Same, so same you got whiskey, one same vermouth, shaken? same bitters. One's going to be shaken. One's going to be stirred. This is awesome. I can't wait to, uh, to try yeah. to tell you. We can show off a little bit of like multitasking. Which is yeah, nice. I, I like that. I like that. Talk about catching your head and rub your belly, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have trouble walking and chewing gum, so I wouldn't be <laughs> I wouldn't be that good at this. But uh, well, I like that this chair has some bounce when we do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Or maybe that's just the Sazerac talking. Yeah. Uh, it was the same thing Alan Denny said last week, though, so... Um, Kill it with fire. He totally owned that chair. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is the shake. In- so this is the shake in Manhattan. Okay. This is how a lot of people grow up learning from, like, their grandfather how to make it. Okay. So these are for you. I, I tell you, it just looks delicious. I mean, if you if you just take a look at that, oh, that looks like a concoction for the gods right there. And now it's going to look completely different because the one you're pouring look there. Look how clean and clear that looks. Yeah, it, it almost looks like, like straight this whiskey. This is so aerated. I'll just show that, that one. That it's camera. fuzzy. Yeah. Fascinating. All right. I'm excited to try the uh, to try the difference. Mm. So that tastes like a Manhattan. Yes, it's kind of watery though. It's a little on the weak side. It's a fine drink. I like it. Wow. Ooh. So the third one punches through a whole lot more. You, you taste the whiskey a lot more. Mm-hmm. And so kind of the rule of thumb um, with shaking versus stirring is if anything in your drink makes the, makes the drink cloudy, whether it's, you know, citrus or egg white or, or dairy, you want to sh- or olive brine, mm-hmm. you want to shake the drink. If every, I was going to say my dirty martinis are definitely cloudy after I shake Yeah, them. absolutely. If when you pour it into your vessel of choice, it's a clear drink, you want to stir it because it preserves the clarity and really lets you catch the nuance. Like... You, you get, like, a nice whiskey flavor on a shake in Manhattan. You mm-hmm. can't taste the vermouth. Correct. There's a, there's a lot more depth of complexity. Like, I think the, the aeration actually detracts a little bit. And so There's like you, a lot in the middle of the palate that's missing on that. Yeah. So what are other drinks that we may have a tendency to shake that would be more interesting if we stirred them? Um, the gin martini. If yeah. you're, you know, assuming you're using vermouth. That, that drink, um, because we tend to drink it so dry, we use a lot less vermouth these days than we used to because, again, that whole vicious cycle that we went through. Not as big of an offender because eventually that air will settle out and you'll be left with the same drink. But it you know takes 30 minutes to get there, and then you have like a warm version of your drink mm-hmm. when you could already be on your second cocktail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I always think that this is a really good experiment to see side by side because when you first taste the shaken whiskey Manhattan, you're like, this this tastes like a fine drink. Well, yeah. Exactly. And then you taste the stirred version and you just go, oh my God, this is something completely different. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right because that was well, the it, first one that, that I had. And I was yeah. like, well, this is very It's amazing very good. how much different it looks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think the, the biggest impact when someone first sees it for the first time is fresh out of the shaker when it's still kind of murky. And then you see it come out of the mixing glass, and it's just crystal clear. Crystal clear, clear like yeah. The sexy red tint. Yeah, it really almost looks like a whiskey this, and water. This yeah. looks like a yeah. beer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. It really does. Well, that is fascinating. And they both taste great, but you're right. The flavors are more pronounced. Yeah. And you can you can detect the vermouth much better in the stirred version than you can in the shake. Yeah, and like if you're using, again, like a nicer whiskey— you're wanting to get those nuances. You're wanting that whiskey to shine through. So, like, stirring it is absolutely the, the way to kind of do that and get you there. Would a stirred margarita be worth anything, or does that need to be shaken? I think it needs to be shaken. And like, w- like, what is it about that drink that makes shaken better? The lime juice. 
And again, like it, it, fresh squeezing that lime, it causes getting the lime juice oils. to like expand yeah. and the oils to yeah. To, uh, okay, you know, that makes it, sense. And, and like it's another experiment that you can do at home. Like make you two margaritas and stir one of them, and then shake the other, and then you'll never do the first way. Again. And then you're drinking for science. Yeah, exactly. and thanks. To, and what we found out today was thanks to James Bond, we've been doing our martinis all wrong. That's right. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like I say, wrong just from a classical, um, of course, yeah, it, per, it, perspective. If like, you enjoy it, it's if, not if, wrong. Yeah, so. if, if you enjoy it, absolutely drink it, however the hell you want. Well, uh, again, smoking and toasting not only directly influencing sales, but also educational. That's right. <laughs> That's uh, the received, more you know. The dee 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 dee. or knowing is half the battle. Yeah. I like that better. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. A little more cocktails, and we have uh, another beer to try on this next segment. This is going to be, uh, and it should be interesting to see how this pairs up with some of the things that we've been uh, trying today. We'll be trying a uh, a really interesting imperial stout that is um, that is a peanut butter marshmallow imperial stout called Fluffernuttergus. I said that better after Say that again? I said it better after the cocktails than I did earlier (laughs) on in the show before we started. Uh, We'll be right back. It's Smoking and Toasting. Welcome back. It's Smoking and Toasting, show number 201. We are halfway to 500 and uh, thrilled to be there. Uh, <laughs> oh, we're halfway to 300. Uh, see, we're already well past halfway to 300, so uh, so we'll set our sights higher. Halfway to 500. Can you, will you be just absolutely shocked if this show makes it to 500 episodes? To 500 episodes. Oh. That means we, sir, are tenacious. Yeah, and it means we've had a lot of beer and spirits is what it'll also mean. Uh, we are uh, thrilled to be coming to you talking about craft beer Fine spirits and hand rolled cigars. We're thrilled to have uh, mixologist extraordinaire uh, Chris Morris joining us on the program today, making that stuff. That guy's awesome. And we are also thrilled to be sponsored by mycigarshirts.com. That's mycigarshirts.com with all kinds of cool uh, t shirts for cigar lovers. You'll enjoy them, you'll appreciate them, and you'll support our sponsor. And that'll be very cool. All right, Ian. You you said that there's a good chance we'll have a sponsor. We'll not a sponsor. We'll have a uh, uh, a jingle prepared, a theme song for drinking news next week. Next week, yes. Uh, so do you want to do one no. last acapella performance? This is yours. You're gonna make me do the last this one. This is your last one. All right. <clears throat> After this, Ian promises will be different and better. Uh, drinking news is the segment on the program where we try to bring you a story that I'm not uh, promising better. may or may not be about drinking, but certainly is. Probably more enjoyable if you are drinking. And we call it Drinking News, Drinking News. Now it's time for Drinking News, baby. Ian, I think you're going to love this week's Drinking News. Talk to me. What's happening? A Florida man. I love it already. (laughs) Any story that starts with a Florida man. A Florida man in Panama City was charged with burglary earlier this year. When he crashed his car into a bar so he could steal a Dr. Pepper. Police, a Dr. Pepper? Police found the man sitting in the bar, sitting and drinking his Dr. Pepper, with his car crashed through one of the bar's walls. I thought Dr. Pepper was just that big in Texas. I didn't well, know Florida was... Well, we've heard about the Dr. Pepper shortage. Yeah. You know, but this guy... 
you know, leave it to Florida man to take uh, matters into his own hands. By the way, also in his own hands, uh, yeah, he had a gun, so it made it an armed burglary. So not only is he breaking and entering uh, and, and theft for the Dr. Pepper, but now armed burglary because of the gun. So uh, what, that, that's really all there is to the story. What can make a man want a Dr. Pepper so bad? I, I've, I will tell you, I've wanted a Dr. Pepper pretty bad at different points in time of my life. But. See, I, I feel like that just needs to be a slogan. Just like a picture of this guy's mugshot, and then just like but by the way, this we, beautiful deep voice. Did you put what that can up make already, a man uh, want a Dr. Pepper uh, so put, bad? Put, the, put that mugshot up again for me one more time. So there he is. There's the dude right there. That guy wanted a Dr. Pepper bag. He wanted it AF. Yeah, he certainly <laughs> did. <laughs> so there you go. Today's drinking news. Not much to the story, <laughs> but because it started with a Florida man, it it you know it, it, it's one of the more that special happy. drinking news uh, stories that we've had in quite some time. And we're enjoying the drinking. We're enjoying the drinking news. And Ian, I think we should start since Chris is going to give us. A cocktail that has never been tasted before, other than by the cocktail uh, to end all cocktails. Uh, maybe we should start with the beer, and then we'll end the show with the cocktail. All this right. beer looks like something I, special. I'm about to open something called Fluffer Nuttergus. Fluffer Nuttergus. I really can't say it better now that I've uh, had some of these uh, Manhattans. Yeah, I mean, whiskey was once considered medicinal in this country. Well, it's certainly working for me. Yeah, like in, in Prohibition, literally, you get a so. There were a number of distilleries that were still allowed to produce whiskey during Prohibition on the premise of it being medicinal. Mm -hmm. Malort was um, medicinal. Malort is uh, medicinal, actually. Yeah. It's <laughs> medicine it'll, for my soul. It'll keep I, I, I'm one of those very strange. I absolutely love Malort. You do? You really yeah, do? I do. You I actually, have, I you have actually Malort drink it for, Hart, for pleasure. Yes. And Alan Denny. And, and me Cruz twice. Twice. I've Malorted them. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I the first time I went to Chicago and I had always heard the stories and like I, I love bitter things, Campari and Fernet and, mm -hmm. and Ramazzotti mm -hmm. and Averna, like give them <laughs> give them all to me in a glass. <laughs> and I had heard of this thing that was the worst thing mankind had ever created. And I in the, the true epitome of It is an affront to civility, I have mm -hmm. to say. In in the true epitome of highbrow lowbrow, we went to uh Grace for dinner. This is the year that they had opened. Yeah, they now have yeah. three Michelin stars. Yeah, that, that's a pretty respectable place. So, like, we went and dropped a pretty coin on dinner, and then I'm like, all right, mm -hmm. we got to find Fournette or uh, Malort. <laughs> so then we go, like, stumbling looking for a bar because we've had, you know, like eight glasses of wine with our tasting. And I'm walking to this bar and, I'm, like, scanning the back bar. And I'm like, there it is. Well, if you go into a bar I'm in like, Chicago, they'll I'm have like, it. <laughs> and you, had you ever tried it before this? No. And, oh. I, and I'm like, you and me, sweetheart. <laughs> so the, the bartender comes over, and I prep myself for the worst, and I'm like, I like a shot of Malort and a half pour of Arctic Panzer Wolf. Oh, my God. Which is a Three Floyds 100 IBU double IPA. Yeah, I'm like, because yeah. if this all goes south, I just want to, like, crush my mouth drown with hops. It, drown it in hops. <laughs> and like, Absolutely. And, like, insanely high... IBU double IPA is like the only way I knew to do that. So I'm like psyching myself up. I'm like, all right, here you go. You got this. You got this. And I take it. I'm like, it's pretty good. You're, like, a, you're a strange I, man, Chris Morris. Yeah. And then I just sit back and like <laughs> casually start sipping my my IPA. That's. Uh, I think uh, I think my feelings toward Malord are, are best summed up by the slogan that Ian found. That uh, oh, there was a great Thrillist it. article that had a list of fan made oh, yeah. slogans. Have you read that? Yeah, it tastes like getting picked on in the third grade. <laughs> Malort, tonight's the night you fight your dad. <laughs> or, Malort, 
these pants won't shit themselves. <laughs> uh, some of the greatest, some of the greatest slogans ever. Well, I'm certainly hoping that the uh, the fluffer nuttigus uh, is smells is amazing. not malort like. Yeah, yeah. Just smell it in the in the whole room. Yeah. Now? So this is had, not malort. No. Ian, we've had White Elm uh, uh, beers on the show before. Yes. At least one. I remember this. They are out of Lincoln, Nebraska. And I always say, if you live in Lincoln, Nebraska, you might as well open a brewery and make great craft beer, because what else is there to do in Lincoln, Nebraska? my God. Yeah? It smells like a peanut butter cup. This, let me me put it this way. Mm -hmm. There is obviously nothing better to do in Lincoln, Nebraska than make this badass beer. Mm -hmm. This is so good. Wow, it really is. It's so I've had a lot of beers that are peanut butter or yes, marshmallow I, or whatever. And some of them this are one than has others. a balance to it that I've never had in a peanut butter marshmallow beer ever. Like the only thing that even comes close to how well this is made is the five one two pecan porter. That's a great, which beer. is absolutely amazing. Yes, I this have a, is. I have a question for you. Yes, do you want to catch felony? Because this is twelve and a half percent, I feel like we're gonna do felonious things. Right? <laughs> this, beer, this beer is amazing. We're well, gonna eat sushi and not pay, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you though, what's interesting about this is that you get total peanut butter cup on on the front, and then you get you get this really toasted, almost like burnt marshmallows. Like somebody oh, took yeah. that that torch that you have and yeah. toasted the top of the marshmallows on the finish, and it's just a really like you said, but well it's balanced. not overly sweet either. No, it's not, and and you get the graininess and of the chocolate. And it still tastes like beer. Mm-hmm. Mm. This is probably one of the best of its kind that I've ever had. Is it really twelve percent? It is right? twelve and a half. Percent. Oh, twelve and a half percent. Wow, White Elm, you have outdone yourself. Holy my cow! Wow. And Keep cold, drink fresh. It says. Not a wow. problem. <laughs> yeah. Peanut. Butter, marshmallow, imperial stout contains nuts. Mm. Yeah, twelve point five percent. Our original adjunct stout just got a fresh pair of kicks. The sticky sweet toasted marshmallow flavors of fluffernutigus paired with creamy salty peanut butter. Well, it is really outstanding. Like, I am blown away by this beer. This it is, is really, really terrific. One of the best uh, stouts I think we've had on the show in a very long time. And I had, had one not too on long show. ago that was peanut butter and jelly that was pretty good. But this, like I said, this, the way they balance this, there's something about this where you taste everything. It's not too sweet. It's not too much of one, too much of the other. And the chocolate flavor on it is amazing. It's delicious chocolate. Yeah. It's it's a dark, bitter chocolate mm-hmm, which is my with favorite a sweet color. marshmallow, like burnt marshmallow. It's ass. Honestly. This okay. should be held up as the you know when you when you're going to brewer's school if there is such a thing this should be held up as the gold standard of uh, of stouts that have coffee or chocolate flavors to them. There there is definitely a brewing school. My my brother-in-law has a degree in brewing. Mm. He also has a degree in theology, so he's mm-hmm. basically the closest thing to a real life monk that I. Know. I was going to say he's uh, he's perfectly uh, perfectly balanced. Oh, no, it, no, it was it was super... be the modern day Saint Arnold. Yeah, no, it, it was super fantastic. It was a one stop shop. So not only did he do the like ceremony at my wedding, but he also brewed the beer for oh, it. Oh, nice. that's awesome! <laughs> so I didn't know Ian that well. We met and got together a couple of times when I went to his wedding, but I told him at at the wedding I was like. This wedding has the greatest beer of any wedding I've ever been to. And it really, really, truly was amazing. I had two kegs. I had uh, the Goliad Golden, which is really good. And I had 
something darker. Mm-hmm. I, I'm blanking on what it was, but um, all I know is I drank a whole bunch of it. Yeah, and I had good beer at my wedding, mm-hmm. and we had beer during the wedding. I, so my wedding your, was your basically, ceremony included beer, which yeah, is awesome. Also included beer, but my my wedding was set up such that if you didn't have a beer in your hand while we were getting married, then that was your fault. Um, and we basically what we did is we threw a party and we interrupted it with about 10 minutes of ceremony. That, yeah. so, that sounds very, very totally, close to what we did. Yeah. Totally the way that it should be. Totally the yeah. way that it should be. <laughs> well, uh, Chris, I, I got to tell you, I didn't mean to uh, to pull out such an amazing beer before I, your I, final the, cocktail. The pressure is I on. I feel like the bar has been uh, elevated just a bit here. Uh, but, man, that was good. And I'm I'm hoping that this... Cocktail will live mm. up to the challenge. Now, uh, I wanted to ask you this uh, a little bit earlier. When you come up with a new cocktail, is it is it head based, recipe based, or is it trial and error Came behind to you the in bar? A dream. Yeah. How does how does it happen? So, it, it's all completely dependent. Like sometimes I just see like an ingredient and I'm like, I want to I want to make something with this. That happens a lot. Um, I'll shop at a lot of like uh, Asian grocery stores, things like Ninety Nine Ranch, Viet Wah, mm-hmm. yeah, H Mart, and like H Mart is awesome, by the way. <laughs> yeah, so like I'll I'll find something that like I'm not familiar with, and I'm like, all right, like this is this is five bucks, so like I'm gonna buy it, and I'm gonna drink with it, and and see what happens basically, um, and then sometimes like we'll be pouring. Uh, through like some old cocktail manual and find some like really obscure classic that like sounds super interesting, and then like maybe you make that and then update it for like the modern yeah palette. put that, a twist on that, it that's how that's palette. how this one started okay, um, and then you make it and you're like okay that's cool but now we got to try it this what way. if we and did then, this and yeah. then we got to try it this way and and my kind of personal uh, philosophy when it comes to cocktails is I will tweak and I will tweak and I will tweak and I will not stop. Until I make the cocktail worse, you will tweak and tweak until <laughs> well, his tweaker is sore. So right. yeah, so I, I but, will, but I that's will interesting. Con- what he said when he makes the cocktail worse, then I un- then, then I stop und- and back up. Right? Then I undo the last step and I stop because I've, I've reached the logical conclusion. That yeah. makes so much sense. And sometimes and sometimes that takes days. Sometimes that takes weeks, months. Sometimes it's even taken years. Like I've got a a cocktail that that I do at the bar that I don't have on the menu that I've been serving for five years and I've been evolving the recipe. For five years, as you know, yeah, and and the presentation, and, and you haven't made it worse yet, so you haven't stopped. And I have not made it worse yet. Okay, <laughs> got it. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, this one is called what's the name this again? It's called the Enemy Combatant. I love the name. And uh, how did you choose that name for it? So this one is based on one of those old school cocktails that, like, I started updating for the modern palate. So in Charles Baker's Gentleman's Companion, 1939, there's a cocktail called the Burnt Fuselage. Another great cocktail, which, which is um, actually attributed to an American pilot. I don't remember his name. I think it was Ken. Um, you would think I'd be more researched after four cocktails. Well, I and, was actually and some twelve percent beer. I but, was actually really impressed with some of the names and dates you were reeling out earlier. I was like, okay, yeah, we just come in and taste beers and cocktails, and uh, you're you're, yeah, so, you're laying history on us. So, so he was often known for when he got done with his mission, he would have a cocktail of his creation called a burnt fuselage, which was equal parts cognac, dry vermouth. And Grand Marnier, okay, which sounds interesting. Like, yeah, I, yes. Like I know what those things taste like. I don't really generally mix them together, so I mix them together because you know you got to do the research. You got to you got to drink the drinks. <laughs> yes. I like that you take your job seriously. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It's important. Somebody, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do important. it. I, you know, I, I've got a, a wonderful, beautiful 
amazing gin martini on my menu that we actually serve pre-batched and frozen, and it's as cold as I can possibly legally serve you a martini, I'm pretty convinced. Uh, then I'm and, coming in to get and, one. And I, and I tell people all the time, I'm like, because I have to freeze this overnight, like I, for like two weeks, I had to drink a martini every single day. That's how much I love you people. <laughs> it's sacrifices that I make. It's sacrifice and dedication. That's what I just important. want you to know our appreciation for what you I, do. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. So this, so this started as the burnt fuselage because I like those old historical cocktails that, because as I mentioned earlier, like sometimes I'm a bartender, sometimes I'm a storyteller. You know, I, I I like to often say like I'm a storyteller with liquid literature, and so like stories like that are really important. They help sell the cocktail. And so I started with the burnt fuselage, and it was fine. But, you know, it's 2020, and I have way more cool shit than they had in the 30s. Mm-hmm. And so I started tweaking it and tweaking it and tweaking it. And eventually I found a burnt fuselage that I liked, and I put it on my menu. And then, like, overnight I was like, oh, my God, I didn't taste this with this style of vermouth. We have to do this tomorrow. And then that uh, went completely off the rails, and, like, three hours later I had a completely different cocktail. And then two days later I had a completely different cocktail. <laughs> called the enemy combatant okay nice. i love it so it was just one of those that we started with a classical <clears throat> structure and then just kept tweaking and experimenting until we found what we felt was a really phenomenal cocktail so well, i figure you'll appreciate this story uh we're talking about the the martini and and how cold you can make it my brother lives in international falls minnesota which is speaking of how cold can you make it the average coldest place in the continental united states wow um he will make what he calls a sub-zero martini, where he takes his glass and his ingredients and sticks it in the snow outside when it's, you know, minus zero or minus 30 or whatever. Ridiculous. Like, if you if your hands are exposed outside, they're going to freeze. That, that's very close to what I do. So, yeah. I, so I take um, gin, dry vermouth, and then some nook chom bitters that I make, which is the Vietnamese fish sauce, the, like, dipping. Oh, uh, yes, yes. What I like to call the Vietnamese ketchup. So you make bitters out of I that. I make a bitters out of that. Wow. Uh, so I add those into a bottle with a quarter ounce of water because I need to do some kind of dilution, and then I put it directly into my deep freezer. And then when you get the, when you get the cocktail, I serve a variety of house-made pickles to the side. I pour you a glass that is completely crystallized coming fresh out of the freezer, and <laughs> I pour you this completely frozen gin concoction. Oh, that sounds it, so good. It's got the viscosity of syrup. I was going to say the gin yeah. comes, like, glopping out of there. Yeah, <laughs> oh, sure, because if you keep your gin or, or vodka in the freezer to make martinis, it does come out yeah. syrupy when you yeah. pour it into the yeah, syrup. Th- this so. was kind of inspired by the, by the Duke's Martini in London, which is um, something that we legally can't serve in Texas, or otherwise we definitely would. So there they pull your glass directly out of the freezer. And it'll probably be by this wonderful uh, older Italian guy, Alessandro Palazzi. Mm-hmm. And he pours a little bit of vermouth in your glass, and he swirls it around. And he throws it out on the carpet. And he insists that he throws it on the carpet. And he puts your glass in front of you, and he pulls a bottle of gin directly out of the freezer, um, and then proceeds to fill your glass up. That's it. There's no stirring. There's no shaking. There is just, he just pouring, pouring, of, a, pouring of, of frozen gin. Now, let me ask you this question. There was I've talked about this on the, on the show before. Um, on the Netflix series uh, Grace and Frankie, Jane Fonda's character goes to a bar and is drinking martinis. And she asks the bartender, what is your secret? You make the best martinis I've ever had. And the bartender proceeds to tell her her secret is that she doesn't wash out the shaker in between the different drinks she makes. That that's her secret. Is that? No. That's bullshit, isn't it? <laughs> that's absolutely, yeah. Okay. He was right. like, no. Yeah, I, not, I, had a, I had a feeling. Bad bartender. Bad, I, bad. You know, I had a feeling it made for like a good line in the show, 
but didn't have a lot of basis yeah. in reality. No, yeah, that's like seasoning your grill. You still got to clean it. Yeah, right. You you can't just leave all the crap on it. You have to clean it off at some point. Okay, gotcha. I'm glad I got to ask that question <laughs> of, of someone that would really know. Um, all right, so tell me the ingredients you're putting in here. All right, so the first thing we're doing, we're sticking true to the original, so we're using cognac. Okay. So, Pierre Fronde, 1840. Uh, so we use Somewhere it. Docs is smiling. I, yeah, absolutely. I love that guy so He's much. He's awesome. He's so fun, isn't he? <laughs> All right. So he may here. not even be watching the show. He just sitting there. He's just sitting there and goes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I have. I have he's a feeling good. he's. Uh, uh, he's, so, so he's we're, feeling it. So we're sticking somewhat, somewhat with um, our pilot's original recipe. And by the way, he eventually was shot down. So that was kind oh, of. Oh man. Kind of, and I, well, he lived, and he, I actually, hate and, and he came back home. But that was again okay. kind of the genesis of the name because I know eventually, like he was actually shot down and was considered an enemy combatant. Okay, um, so that's kind of where the lineage of the name comes from. Um, so we've got cognac. We're doing an ounce. We're bringing everything else down a little bit just to let the cognac shine through. I think the modern day palate wants to taste the spirit a little bit more, just Probably. because we have really great spirits available to us. Mm-hmm. So there's. Uh, three quarters ounce of a blend of Japanese ume brandy, which is a type of plum. It's very tart okay. that they have, as well as Pierre Ferrand dry curacao. So, referencing that Grand Marnier, that orange. So mm-hmm. you've got the orange, you've got plum. We're still seeing like that wonderful citrus family. Got it. And instead of dry vermouth, we're using what's called bonal, which is similar to vermouth, but it's a little bit more bitter. This one in particular, bittered with both gentian and qu- and uh, quinine. So it's not only sharp, but it's very earthy as well. And it's got that kind of wine influence. So, again, all referencing kind of the cognac and kind of those original things. And then uh, I don't think a fuselage can be very burnt without um, something smoking. So we actually used Lapsang Souchong tea. And now we know why you brought the torch. Exactly. Well, no, actually the torch is for some more smoke. Oh, okay. Because gotcha. I think, as I told you earlier, you can't come on smoking and toasting and not do a smoked cocktail. Okay, fair that enough. That just seems amateur. Uh, <laughs> so we, but no, so we actually use a quarter ounce of a Lapsang Souchong tea, okay. which is a Chinese-origin black tea that's actually uh, smoked. So it's often called, like, the Isla Scotch of the tea world. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so when people get into tea, they get into, like, you know your your black teas and your and your greens, but Lapsang Souchong is like that obscure, it's, it's smoky version. It's of like the, the peated yeah. version of black tea. Got it. And so we I use a little bit of that whiskey. just to impart some actual smoke flavor in the cocktail. And then for aromatics, we're actually going to smoke the glasses with some bamboo smoke. Okay. So it wasn't just a disinfect from Alan Denny. There was a fe- functional reason for having a blowtorch <laughs> today. <laughs> right. So you, you said bamboo smoke, bamboo. And so how do you create that? So I just take some, ban- I literally take bamboo and I just, like, uh, just regular, Kind of like, burn off the end of it? No, no, we, we, so we actually just have little pieces of bamboo oh, right here. Oh, pieces of bamboo, got that it. That we cut down, and then we're going to burn this with the torch. We're going to put the, the glass over the top of it. These are some actual Japanese teacups. Okay. Uh, and this is the exact presentation that we do at the bar. And so this just gives us some, like, additional aromatic qualities. Little, little smoke. This yeah. room's about to smell fantastic. Yeah, that's as smells go. That's a good. Oh, and you one. put the cup on there upside down, to to really get the smoke inside the cup. Love it. You're right. The room is smelling great yeah. all of a sudden. Yeah, that's incense right there. Mm, wonderful. All right, so this seems like a fairly large amount of trouble to go to to make a cocktail. It's a medium amount. A medium amount. Okay. 
Um, there, there's I've definitely done much more laborious cocktails in, in my day, but at the end, like the amount of effort doesn't matter. It's the end product that so, matters to me. So when a cocktail is priced on a cocktail menu, um, obviously the more expensive the ingredients that are in it, mm-hmm. the higher the price would be. But is there an allowance for how difficult it is to make? Um, with certain cocktails, yes. Um, you know, if you start talking things like the most infamous example is the Ramos Shin Fizz. It takes eight to ten minutes to make. Yeah. It's a giant pain in the ass. So, like, you're going to pay me 20 bucks to do that. Like, it. And it's because of basically of how many other cocktails I can make in 20 minutes. Right. So if one of my only, arms is doing this for It only know, makes minutes, sense, like, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but other than that, like, I don't generally build that in. So if I do, like, uh, think cocktails with egg whites that take a little bit of, like, additional time to them, mm-hmm. I don't generally price those higher. I just put them... Um, like lower on my menu in ways that like psychologically they won't get ordered as much. Got it. it makes sense. Um, but we, we make a really good effort to keep our cocktails affordable. Um, I think the most expensive cocktail on our menu is $12. That's not bad. Hmm. Uh, this, this one is a $12 cocktail. That daiquiri is 10 You know, so okay. we, we find that cocktails are a lot better if people drink them. And if, you know, they're right. crazy people expensive, t- people tend to drink <clears throat> them a little bit more. So I noticed you stirred that for a very long time. Right, but I'm doing three at once. Okay, that's why. Yeah, so it just takes a little bit of extra time for all that ice to melt. That's why we're using like this big, you know, liter and a half Italian galone, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful uh, a little uh, canister, by the way. Now those have been smoked, and you're pouring in from from up high. Is there something to the? Um, the height that you're pouring from does that cause it to uh, there is actually uh, distribute itself differently in the inside the cup. It's less about that and more about the fact that there there is a wine component to the drink, the the bonal. Okay. And so just like with wine, you want to aerate just a little bit. So that's giving it a little bit of aeration on its way yeah. down to the cup. That's just one of those like kind of very very nuanced touches that just they make a minor effect in the end drink, but. If they're not that big of an effort to do, why not take the time to do them? Makes sense. Well, Ian, we've had uh, we've had a number of different glasses, styles of glass, and our beer cups, but this one is an actual Japanese teacup, right? I know it's pretty awesome looking too. Mm-mm-mm. Well, I can tell you right off the bat, this smells completely different. Oh wow! From any cocktail I've ever had. I don't even know what to say. You get the bamboo smokiness on the nose, but, yeah. but you also can get a little sense of what's beneath there, too. Hmm, fascinating. I will say it's super cold, and I wasn't necessarily expecting that. Yeah. I was not expecting refreshingly delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was expecting delicious, but not refreshingly light. Right. I think the cocktail plays with the mind a little bit because you see like this black teacup and smoke and you're thinking fire. So you're expecting like I'm expecting something completely you're different. You're expecting to be tea. Honest. Yeah. But you yeah, right. but you do get like this this cold, fruity, refreshing beverage. And I always like when a cocktail plays with your expectations as well. I think mm. I think it That's makes, delicious. makes life a little more interesting. Delicious in a completely different way from the others. Like it's a completely different style of cocktail. But like you said, Ian, much more of a refreshing, um, sort of clean on the palate that, vibe than I was that expecting. That smoke really plays with the palate, too. Because well, it does. It's, it's there. Every time you bring the glass to your nose, you get that smoke right off the bat. Mm. 
how different is this from the burning fuselage that you uh, burnt? Is it burnt fuselage, burning fuselage, burnt fuselage, burnt fuselage. How how different is this from that original one that you sort of started with? Uh, it's it's quite different. Okay. Um, so instead of just using an orange liqueur, it's um, so a we use a reduced amount of fruit liqueur and we split it fifty fifty between orange and plum. We don't use a dry vermouth. We use a, a gentian quinoa wine and the tea, and we reduce the amounts of both of those from being an equal parts cocktail to being four parts to three to three and then smoking the glass. If it was super similar, like, occasionally I'll just be like, yeah, I just like this drink with, like, maybe a bar spoon of this or a little more sugar. I'll generally keep the name. Um, but once you start messing with the DNA of a cocktail, I, you I, change it, I, yeah. I think you have to change the name of the cocktail. It It's almost like a... A sort of a, a refreshing, sort of boozy citrus drink, but yeah, it's got a orange, peated whiskey vibe to and it. And then, you know? the, did you say plum on the background? Yeah, yeah. the plum is so interesting because it's such a like you get all the brightness from the citrus right up front, and then when it finishes, it just closes down with this real dark, mm-hmm. fruity kind of thing. And, and that's where the peat kind of yeah kind of comes in that one of my favorite things about this this drink and i know i know you talk about a lot it's actually the pay attention to the retro hail that's where you really get right the elements of that smoked tea Mm -hmm. well and it's one of the the tea part of it is super delicious whether you're smoking a cigar or whether you're enjoying a craft beer or a a spirit or a cocktail like this i always think of the retro hail as that's the freebie you know like you get it totally for free it's like after you've taken your drink for no extra cost, you get to enjoy that sensation of just how it feels coming back that out the nose. Smoky retro hail is real good. I could see this going with a cigar on the lighter side, really, really well, or oh, candela yeah. wrapper cigar. Yes, I could see that happening really, really well. I don't know if this is going to work or not, but would you pour me just a touch more of that uh, imperial stout, the fluffer nuttergus? I think maybe I didn't pronounce it as well that time. So maybe maybe it's the law of diminishing returns <laughs> beginning to kick in. I didn't uh, know I didn't know what it would be like to go back to I'm this. I'm going to wait to see what you say cuz I don't think they're going to be flavor compatible. Well, I'll say this doesn't taste any worse. Still like, good. But but it almost just changes you. It's like you walked into another room. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh it's it's not something where the two are necessarily working together. But uh, it was I was curious because we'll see what happens when you go back to it. Well, it is interesting because it introduces almost the, uh, maybe because it's just still on the palate. There's almost a chocolate note added yeah. to uh, what this what this tastes like, which actually works just fine. Yeah, I, I, I don't can, know if it makes can, it better, but it, it works just fine. Mm. Mm. Well. Chris, I'll tell you, this has been quite an adventure. I don't know for sure why we waited so long to do this, but uh, but that's on us, and we will not wait so long next time to have you back. Now, I'm really serious about trying to set up a sort of a do gin you, versus vodka martini challenge. Do you have somebody who swears by vodka martinis? Are, is there anybody? Because it seems to me all the purists that I meet are gin, gin um, martini people. I mean, I'd have to... To ask, I mean, I, I had somebody that did, but that's because you know they literally worked for a vodka company. But well, it happens. You know, um, I I could ask around. But. All right, let's let's do some investigating because I because I would love to have someone in who 
really believe that their vodka martinis were as good or better than gin martinis. And then we could really, really put it to the test. You know what I mean? All right. I don't know. I don't know which will win, and I don't really care. I just I'm looking forward to tasting. <laughs> we just want to drink martinis. That's martinis. Right. That's exactly right. Well, that's, a, that's an Uber show. That's that's. <laughs> uh, Chris, are there times that people can find you behind the bar specifically, or does your schedule always vary in fluctuate? I, I am there Wednesday through Saturday, open to close. Open to close. Okay. So I am I am very very easy to find. So if I were to come in and say, make me something new, what would you do? Uh, I mean, we would talk a little bit about like the cocktails that you enjoy. Um, I occasionally get people that do that. Um, I, I have a lot of people that have you know, followed me from bar to bar, and at this point, they're sort of like, you, barman, drink. Uh, and I, I don't ask questions. I just kind of like, I'm like, all right, I saw like this cool classic cocktail, or like I got this new spirit and I want to play with it. But otherwise, like we'll have a, a quick conversation about like, you know, what do you like? What are you feeling? And like I'll take things like the weather outside into consideration, right? Like if it's super hot outside, I'm not going to serve you like some stirred, bitter, like, you know, peated whiskey drink. Like right. that's not that's not serving like what's going on in the, Even in the Ian's world. Ian's like, why not? <laughs> yeah. But then I, I, get it, I, I, get I will drink this outside in the sun. I don't yeah, care. I, I but that, but I that's also it. like why I ask questions. Like if someone comes in and I'm like, hey, like, you know, what kind of drinks do you like? What are you feeling? You're like, I want smoke. I'm like, all right, let's, like, let's, that, let's, that, yeah, let's, let's do, do this. Like, yeah, let's, let's, do let's, do let's get you some smoke. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, before we uh, wrap up the show, I did want to give you a chance to respond because, uh, you know, a number of drinks in on last week's show and with our buddy Alan Denny here, we did kind of disparage you a little bit and uh, and, and, and uh, tell a joke or two at your expense. Uh, but simply was, because I'd known you. Uh, it was a fine joke. Yeah, I'd known you to be at uh, at more than one employer. But in, in all fairness, you've been at this uh, particular spot for quite some time, haven't you? Uh, a couple months. Okay. That's, that's what I... I define no, that as quite some time. No, no, so. the, the first thing I did when I walked in this this morning was I looked at Ian and I said, I just want you to know, I haven't been fired in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is when I said that last week, <laughs> Alan Denny laughed harder than I've ever seen him laugh before, and I've known him for a while now. So, um, Chris, thank you so much. I so appreciate you uh being here and doing this for us. These were all just incredible. I, I'm not even sure which one I liked the best. They were so good. Uh, did you have a favorite, Ian? Man, um, so a, a, a couple things that were super enlightening to me. First off, the stirred versus shaken. Mm-hmm. I, you'll notice that I still have some of my... So I have some of the shaken, but not shaken, the stirred. Shaken, but the stirred is completely empty. a little empty. of each left, but you can see which one went faster. Yeah, yeah. so um, uh, the... Um, this one is so intriguing to me. The very the one of the most interesting cocktails I've ever tasted. Yes, this one is so intriguing to me and so fun. I don't know if I if I have a favorite. Well, maybe because the first cocktail that we had, the daiquiri, I loved that. It was so good. It was just so, you, know, I you like think of daiquiri as being wanna, like something wanna, you can get anywhere. I like yeah. that, and that I want to take no. that home and share it with my wife. Kind of way. yeah. Totally. The old fashioned was enlightening because I'd never had an old fashioned with cognac before i like that a and lot. i actually think like i may have to start making my old fashions with cognac and see what happens because mm-hmm. my right. wife makes she loves making old fashions but she mm-hmm. almost always makes them with rye which is what i'm used to but i think we're well, gonna you can make to... it with literally like we said like the original definition of a cocktail is a spirit of any kind you yeah. can make like right. one, of my, one of my most successful cocktails i've ever done was a, a gin old-fashioned well, it makes mm. me it makes me think too that I have that uh, barrel rested gin 
that uh, Dirty June Barrel Rested Gin yeah. makes me think that I really want to try that in an old fashioned as well. It makes, by the way, a badass martini, martini yeah. and you don't need to add much. It's barrel rested, so you just shake it, you put shake it, in it a up, cup and, and put it in a. <laughs> I like. That's you do like what, a, sir? You do what? You, you stir it. There we in. go. Oh yeah. well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I do. What did we learn today? <laughs> Stirring. <laughs> See how ingrained that is. Uh, by the way, I just want to uh, uh, also pass along before we uh, sign off the show uh, the. Uh, comment of the day on our uh, social media following content we were talking about instruments uh, earlier and ian was talking about uh, ukuleles and banjos and chris spoke up about ukuleles and our, uh, our, our and our buddy chris hart said uh, only chris morris could make ukuleles sound shabby <laughs> which i thought was a, the quote of the day for today's uh, i thought he said snobby oh he, did he say snobby i misread i'm sorry he did ah. say snobby that's just You're the right. whiskey talking. Uh, and the whiskey talking. That'd be a good name for a show, the whiskey talking. The whiskey talking. Yeah, we'll have to keep that in mind. Thank you uh, to everyone who has contributed to the show. Chris Morris, thank you so much for, first of all, bringing all this stuff in because, you know, Dude. We, when we just bring a bottle in and pour it into sampler cups, it's a lot, uh, it's a lot simpler. You went to uh, great lengths to make these for us today, and we appreciate it. Absolutely. And and it was educational and awesome and everything. Where's your restaurant was delicious. located? It is 2502 Dunleavy, so right in the heart of Montrose. Mm. Nice. Right there just down the street from Anvil and One-Fifth and Poison Girl. All these wonderful restaurants that people know were literally one street back. I awesome. have a hilarious Poison Girl. Do you know Martine from Poison Girl? Yeah. So walk in there, and I'm chatting with Martine, and uh, me and my wife are sitting at the end of the bar, and this girl walks in with her boyfriend, and she leans over to the bar and she goes, uh, I'll have a dose of keys. And he goes, we don't have that. She goes, okay, two Corona. And he's like, we don't have that. <laughs> She's like, what do you have? And he goes, we have Lone Star. Obviously seeing what kind of mm -hmm. beer she wanted. She's like, we have Lone Star. She goes, I'll take two of those. So he walks off and he very professionally gets these beers and he puts them on the counter next to her. And he turns around and he starts talking to me and my wife. And out of the corner of my eye, I see this woman and she's just sitting there tapping the top of her bottle and staring at him. And I look over because it's distracting. And he looks over and he's like, uh, did you need something? And she goes, can I get lime and salt, please? <laughs> As if you're supposed to put lime and salt in a lone star. In a lone star. Yeah, yeah. Well. And he goes, okay. <laughs> and he just grabs a beer and furiously throws salt on it, <laughs> tosses a lime in each one. And he gives it to her and he just goes, good luck with that. And he walks. <laughs> <laughs> it was so beautiful. Well, as we were fun. Who does of the whole tap the top of the bottle? Yeah, like right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, as we are fond of saying when we sample tequila on this show, no salt nor <laughs> limes were harmed during the making of this show. Uh, Chris, thank you for being here. Uh, thanks to uh, Mary for setting this up. Thanks to Adam, our producer, on the Wheels of Steel today. And Ian, thanks to you, my friend. 201 thanks, episodes. 201, and they haven't How stopped cool us yet. How cool is that? Yo. Oh, you just made somebody so mad by saying that. Oh. Also, the last time he was on the show was episode 100. It's true. Yeah. 101 later, and Chris Morris returns. Cheers, my friends. All right, see you for 302.